listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back for another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. It's true. I am here also to talk about wrestling from the 80s, the legends of the WWF, and sometimes the AWA and the NWA. But at the moment, we're back in WWF territory. New That's York, right. New England. I've been looking at, um, <laughs> I have this set of cards, like the 50 states. Okay. You know, and it tells you the um, capital and the flags and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I've just been, because I, I wouldn't really recognize many of uh, the shapes. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. everybody recognizes Texas, right? <laughs> everybody knows what the state of Texas. Or Florida. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's right. But uh, the state of New York, like right. I, I really had to take a look at it. Like, you know, all those islands and stuff are just kind of like, I mean, I ha- I did know that New York State is a big place because right. you eventually get that impression. But anyway, it's, it's kind of neat because some states have like a harbor running through them where you're kind of like, what are these two oddly shaped bits of land, uh, you know, got to do with each other? But, you know, they're, it's all a big valley. I think. That right, was Maryland. Yeah. Maryland. It almost looks like just the dragon's jaws, but it's just this <laughs> the water goes in and on either side, Maryland has yeah. their, you know, where they live. So these are all the places that New York and the McMahons controlled, and, and before they controlled the whole damn world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it's good that you're talking about Americans because what I've been noticing is a surge in fans of the of our show. Oh, is like that right? Amer- oh, yeah. It's crazy. The last few weeks, we've sort of like normally ca- Canadians dominate like the, the listenership. And we have our American fans, but not as many. But it's like 50-50. It's a great the American last, bash. It's, that's what it is. And this is what I got to throw the props out to is this NWA Facebook group that I'm a part of. I have to really thank the admins because they're one of the only ones out there that will, you know, allow a group such as ourselves to actually just post our episodes as long uh. as they're related to the you know, the page, right? right? So we can't go post our Saturday Night's Main Event show there, yeah. but we'll, we can post our, our NWA content. And, and that's where I'm seeing like a pickup you know, right from the ah. time that that gets posted, I'm seeing, oh, look at all these new listens and people right starting on. to listen to this, you know, beginning from the beginning, people going back to Science Main Event 1 and starting from there and, and catching up. And that's really great. So hopefully we've uh, picked up some new fans that way. And cool. there was just great chatter on that Facebook group about the July 5th Great American Bash card, which we released, you know, a couple of weeks ago now that as we we're going to release this. And well, a specific card, like because of course we have yeah, the Ricky July Morton, 5th. We the, have the, yeah, the, okay, so that's Ricky Morton. Yeah, that was the second one. It was yeah. the first, the lead up to the bash that got us some good traction. But like a lot of our shows, the the second show, the actual you know deep dive of the of the show we're talking about, right? That seems to get a little bit more traction, a little bit more attention. But Technically, it was in, we did cover Hawk. That's in right, the beginning of the bash yeah, on the, the lead up. Was, as yeah, well. it was almost like the first show was the July first. Uh, Correct. card with a lot of lead up and then the second one was just really just the July 5th one with of course that that awesome ending of the Ricky Morton and Flair stuff that we added in there 
but but it really sparked great conversation on there and i think some good you know in insight for us so people right away started posting things about like yeah ricky morton should have been the champ and no oh, they would never make ricky morton the champ you know that was back when it was still the board of directors had to vote the nwa champ and he didn't have the look and you know it was really great because a lot of time on these online forums it gets pretty petty very quickly as soon as anybody has a different opinion it's you know it's not a conversation it's just like you're an idiot or you know hmm. people insulting each other but it wasn't that's not the case on this thread it was great there was tons and tons of comments. There was good back and forth. And, you know, some of these people are like our age, but they like... Did but anybody they, find or post the photo of Ricky Morton? No, but the one they confirmed is is that that night, the night of the picture of Ricky Morton, it was a dusty finish. So mm, yeah. Ricky Morton won, but then he didn't win. And, well, but, yeah, he, yeah. but he still took it to the back. You know, he still yeah. left. He left the ring with the belt, even though he knew when he was... You know, they, so, they announced they announced there that let, he wasn't let's the champ. Let's clarify then. The dusty finish means you get to leave the ring with the belt. Because I think sometimes I might have referred to well, a dusty finish with like the guy doesn't even get to go I'll home. I'll give you an example of no, of a dusty finish that's not like that. So, so it's, 1987, therefore, yeah. that means it's not, the dusty finish is covers more than one. Yes. Because here's one of the most famous dusty finishes of all time that really upset people and really people point to as like a downfall of Crockett is the 1987 Starcade in Chicago, Road Warriors versus Arn Tully. That dusty finish. Okay, but, go but on. They did, but well, they didn't. But they didn't. They didn't leave. You know. Tell, what so are the they think they think they won. You know, like they, they show the crowd that they won. But there's a after the fact disqualification. And so we're assuming here that the, this the is Road the, Warriors won. Take the world belts off. Yeah, the of world the, tag titles off the, the bastards. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that was the one that like people and they were left like, the ring with the belt. No, they didn't. It was announced, you know, pretty quickly after the match ended. The the ref bump. This, you know, the a second ref made the count. Ah. And then the original ref was like, no, no, I saw the over the top. It's you know, it's 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 not a title win. It's it's a disqualification. Horsemen oh. win by disqualification, not that they lost and lose the titles. Okay. So they didn't get to leave the belts, the ring with the belts. And I would say that that's probably the one I see brought up most often as a dusty finish. So. I think it encompasses both ways. One where you actually go home thinking he's the champ versus another one where you're like, you get to think he's a champ for a minute or two and then where they are the champs. I see. Well, anyway, so back to wrapping up. That's great to have a lot more American listenership. Thank you, everybody, for tuning yeah. in. It's, it's Yeah, it's awesome. And it just again, just to kind of finish that thought, you know, it's these guys that are like our age, but the difference is, is because of where they live in things, you know, they that was their TV. You know, they lived that Crockett, you know, TV week to week. So they really were like, they're, it's it's their strong memories. And, and that's where that good back and forth come from. And, and what we're looking for, which is that input from other people that, that had different TV than we did, because that's kind of the whole premise behind the show is like, what could you watch? And they could watch different stuff than us. So we do appreciate it. It's awesome. So now this week, we're back for the January 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event. And there's a lot of stuff that is going on in December of 1986 for the WWF. It's kind of wrapping up a year and closing things up. And it's kind of a transition time. I think like a lot of stuff starts to change in 87. You know, new wrestlers coming in, storylines are changing. But it's kind of the 85 and 86 seem so tightly wound together. And I think as we march towards WrestleMania 3, they start to change a lot of things. But this week, we'll be looking at several things that happened on TV, some things that happened at house shows, and we'll get ourselves in place to finalize those five matches next week of Saturday Night's Main Event in January, which in my head, I for some reason always thought that the January 87 Saturday Night's Main Event was a December 1986 Saturday Night's Main Event. I would always say that to people, like, oh, it was, they went October, November, December, but they didn't. <laughs> the show was in January. Very early in January, but in January. That's a lot of Saturday Night's Main Event. <laughs> 
Okay, we're going to look at a few matches, several interviews, and get ourselves prepared. One thing I do want to point out, which is kind of disappointing when I went and looked at the actual, to refresh myself on the actual card that's coming up, no tag team match on Saturday night's main event. Scandal. Outrage. The Hart Foundation and the U.S. Express do wrestle in a dark match earlier in the night, and I'm kind of like, well, why didn't they just put that on the show and, you know, remove one of the other matches? i.e. Blackjack Mulligan and Jimmy Jack Funk, but probably didn't have time, or I don't know what the purpose was, but yeah, they went kind of went back to their earliest versions of Saturday's main event where there's like five singles matches and no tag teams. Too bad. So one of the biggest things that's going on this month is week after week after week on all of the syndicated TVs, we get all these updates on the injured babyface Ricky Steamboat and his poor throat, his larynx, and the trials and tribulations of trying to come back from what may be a career-ending injury. Well, Buckley's. It tastes <laughs> awful, and it works. Except for against ring bells. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for no. that. <laughs> Oops. So instead of going week by week and trying to you know go blow, blow by blow, because they're not the most entertaining segments, we'll just kind of wrap them all up now. So what we see is these different segments each week with Mean Gene either in the update segment or sort of recorded separately, and he's speaking to the doctor. He comes back another week. He's speaking to two doctors. And they're kind of going over the prognosis of Ricky trying to come back and if he should retire and the doctor doesn't think he should. And But as you progress, we start getting back to the idea that he is going to be coming back. There's even a, an emotional sit-down interview of Mean Gene and Ricky's wife, Bonnie, who's a controversial figure in her own right in wrestling. How so? She's kind of credited with you know being the... The what do you call it? The, Yoko what was the Beatles. Ono. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Yoko Ono did not break up the Beatles. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um. So that she kind of had helped handle a lot of the negotiations for Rick, and that you know caused problems, both you know after WrestleMania three and eighty nine and NWA and stuff like that, and how how much truth there is to it and isn't. I don't know. And that she wanted to be on TV and kind of like that that character didn't really help her. Like in eighty nine, like. You, Steamboat actually started getting booed a bit when he was bringing her to the because he's trying to like portray himself as the family man, the clean cut, and Flair's this like you know right. evil partier, and people were like, "Screw it, Ric Flair's way cooler." This get rid of get rid of this nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't really like to see somebody's wife when that guy is being so clobbered. You know, it's yeah. I, I didn't like it, and I had forgotten that they showed a clip of her. I think. Was it the ring bell attack or, or something like that? No, not that one. But they, I mean, she might you might have seen something where she was being shown the footage, maybe, and then reacting to it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, especially since Ricky Steamboat at this point seemed to be the absolute uh, whipping post in the in the WWF. You know, yeah. getting hung out to dry and no shortage of him being tortured. <laughs> yeah, you know, DDT'd by Jake on the concrete and then clobbered with the ring bell. And as we mentioned, he was choked with the belt by Morocco and Fuji. Like yeah, no. everybody else is just getting beaten up by wrestling moves. Bring you know. chairs on him. Yeah. yeah. So, hmm, Bonnie. Yeah. And they even have a segment one week where he's doing like speech therapy and he's like holding his throat and he's trying to say words and he's getting frustrated getting frustrated and you know so this is this is all along the storyline of trying to bring us to the point of getting this feud going again and picking up from where we left off in the last Ironman event with this big injury angle and it's pretty neat i think it's near the end of this month where steamboat actually starts doing house shows again but on tv it's well into january before you see that he's actually 
back to action. So it's like that whole thing of what we're seeing in the arena doesn't always line up with what you see on TV. So mysterious. Just wait till we get to the title change of the IC belt and we'll get down to the uh, how many times the warrior actually pinned Hongi and was handed the gold. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so that was, uh, you know, starting again from the December 2nd primetime episode. Like I said, it would be every single week there would be all these vignettes all through December. So if we look at December 6th, there's uh, quite a few things that weekend, some different shows. So on the Superstar show, though, we get an interesting six-man tag match. And it's one thing I noted with the matches this month is there's several of these sort of high-profile six-man tag matches on syndicated TV. A little bit different, I think, you know? There we go. Now you recognize it. <laughs> it took a second. <laughs> They're getting ready for the Freebirds. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're setting up all the all this action for the Freebirds. That's right. So we uh, we we see when they come in back from I think it's back from commercial. The both teams are already in the ring, and it's uh, again it's the Dream Team and Dino Bravo. So those are all with Johnny Valiance, the manager of all three of those guys now. And you got your Rougeos and Billy Jack Haynes. And what we have is a whole lot of shiny jackets, <laughs> like between like, you know, Valentine's robe and beefcake jacket and Bravo's got a shiny jacket on and like the right. Rujos have robes and Billy right. Jack Haynes has got the shiniest jacket of them all. <laughs> well, uh, I heard Flair say every time Valentine or Orndorff added one rhinestone, I added 10. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but Billy Jack's got that, like the, he had that gold foil looking, they aren't rhinestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing, like a kind of a, it just looks like, yeah, like cloth of gold or something is pretty neat very right you know, and orndorff had the same so orndorff valentine and flair all had the same lady make their okay ropes. yeah and one that time makes sense yeah they made they did a profile on her in one of the wrestling magazines well, that's neat yeah that's cool that's cool yeah i mean the guys who made all the belts back in the 80s became quite famous so why shouldn't she too <laughs> Right, like the ancient samurai master swordsmith. And <laughs> yeah. then our first ever emailer, Hanzo Hattori, or Hattori Hanzo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so this is back when we, we've still got the, the dark hair Bravo. You know, he hasn't gone to the bleach blonde look, so he still kind of looks like the Canadian hero, but he's been, you know, he started being the, definitely a heel at this point, and he's been on like a lot of syndicated matches that we've seen. We just haven't covered them because it's been you know, mainly squash matches. So very quickly in this match, there's a distraction because Danny Davis is the referee and McMahon's quite upset. This is the week after the whole debacle with the Hart Foundation and the Bulldogs. So they're very much keying in on Davis and what he's doing wrong. And Davis sort of helps to distract Jacques Rougeau so that as he's chirping with Valentine, Dino Bravo's able to come up like from the blind side and just drill him in the head. And this leads to like quite the ass kicking for Jacques Rougeau for quite a while. There's not much back and forth. So early on in the match after that, Bravo lands his uh, side slam, which in the future is going to be his finisher. But at this point, it's just another move. So Beefcake does his uh, one-handed press into the backbreaker. You know, the one where he'd, he'd kind of prop you up on top of his head. He'd, he'd, be, he'd like rest you on his head. He'd have the Volkov style, like grabbing the tights, but he wouldn't even be using his left hand. It would just be off to the side and then brings him down on the backbreaker. Jacques Rougeau's just not getting anything in here. And then basically Danny Davis just completely allows this awesome triple team in the corner. <laughs> and as soon as like Raymond Rougeau comes across to try and save him, that's all Danny Davis cares about. So he's like escorting Raymond out while they're just brutalizing Jacques. 
and Valentine's in for a shoulder breaker. It's just somehow Jock kicks out of this. I mean, this is at this point, I've seen enough finishers. Like, he should be pinned. <laughs> for 1986, this is like, so that's a, it's pretty good for him to kick out. And McMahon's complaining, and Jesse tells him he's tired of his belly aching about Davis, and he doesn't want to hear about it. That's yeah, <laughs> put him in his place, Jesse. <laughs> so he, uh, Beefcake's in there, and Jock finally gets like a whip reversal, and he does this funny chop on Beefcake. Beefcake takes a really big high bump off of it. And then, but he goes and he puts an abdominal stretch on Beefcake instead of going to tag. Like, he's been just beaten to crap. I don't know why he doesn't tag. So he puts on the abdominal stretch and Bravo's in, like, immediately clubs him, takes him out. And this, you know, this is where the match immediately falls apart. Raymond's in, but, like, Valentine's not having any of it. You think, like, okay, here comes the hot, you know, like, Raymond's going to come in and kick ass. Nope, Valentine just starts beating him up. Raymond's not getting a lot in. And Billy Jack Haynes is just standing on the apron like an idiot watching the three guys beat up his two his two partners. So he finally comes in and gives uh, Bravo a smack to the head, which sends him outside the ring. And then this is the best part. Johnny Valiant jumps up on the apron. And says, rah, 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 rah. So Billy Jack Haynes gives him the, you know, the, the little whip of the ropes and like launches him into the ring. <laughs> ah, brings him in. <laughs> yeah. I love the way Jilly, uh, Johnny yeah, you, Valiant. You, you can hear a... And that's, it's not much longer, and we see Danny Davis call for the bell. And there's a bit of a, you know, long delay. The, the heroes finally kind of get a little bit of licks in and chase the, you know, the villains out to the floor. And they actually, to my surprise, they announced it as a double disqualification. I was 100% expect, you know, percent expecting Danny Davis to disqualify the good guys. Right, me for, too. For t- for touching Johnny Valiant. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, well, then, and actually, technically, why wouldn't they? Because he yeah. brought, he attacked Valiant. Billy Jack brought Valiant yeah. into the ring That's illegally right. so that he would have been within his rights to award the match to the heels. <laughs> that's right. So that's uh, that's the end of that match. It's just, it's neat to see this month. There's a few different times. We'll talk about it. There's just different little matchups that, hey, when did Billy Jack Haynes fight Beefcaker Valentine? You know, like that's, just, that's not part of my memory. So to see them in the same ring, even if there wasn't a ton of action between them, it's interesting, you know, and it's just neat to, or there was always teaming with Billy Jack Haynes. It's just all these variations and ripples that we, we don't see from our average weekly show that, you know, at least in our memories, right? So, well, these guys are wrestling, you know, 300 plus nights a year. Yeah. So there's obviously so much, even though like not every place had cameras, but when, when they're going to, uh, even if it's only 4,000 people, you know, you probably figure someone's going to record that and it's still a big event, you know? That's right. Yeah, for sure. On December 6th, we also have Wrestling Challenge, which brings us some content. Another one of these feature six-man tag matches. Pretty neat. Again, it's different kind of like, you know, combinations of people. So we're very familiar with the Bulldogs versus the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. But in this case, we're adding in the Natural Butch Reed, and the Bulldogs are teaming up with Billy Jack Haynes. Aha. Well... He's making the circuit as a six-man tag partner. He's the new Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we start with the heels in the ring. And of course, we're going to get uh, some Nikolai anthem singing, which of course you have to get. But before he can get all the way through his song, the Bulldogs music kicks up and the crowd, you know, basically drowns him out. So he's like insulted and Sheik's, you know, incredibly upset, waving his flag. Reed was in the background there kissing his biceps for a little while. That was kind of his, almost Paul Orndorff from uh, Land of a Thousand Dances style. Right. 
<laughs> so the Bulldogs come out. Of course, they've got Matilda with them, and they come out with Billy Jack Haynes. Matilda gets in the ring and, you know, goes after her favorite chew toy, and that's uh, the Doctor of Style Slick. So he has to make a bail to get out of the way. And we get going with a familiar-looking matchup, which is Davy Boy versus Sheik. They started out. After some exchanges, Davy Boy gets a hip toss. After, you know, Sheik was trying to give him a hip toss, and Davy Boy's blocking it, blocking it, and then takes uh, Sheik for the ride. They do some rope running, which leads to an incredible back-to-back Iron Sheik leapfrog. <laughs> I've seen him do a leapfrog. I've never seen him do two in a row. It's really quite impressive, you know, like, because he doesn't always look like he moves the best, but he can jump pretty high. Like, Davy Boy's not crawling underneath. He's he's still pretty upright when he goes underneath, so it's, it's really quite good. So after that second leapfrog, Davy Boy bounces off the ropes, and the Sheik goes to kick him in the gut as he's running in, but Davy Boy catches his foot and transitions into a delayed vertical suplex and holds him up there for a long time, slamming him to the mat. So this is going back to the idea that, like, I don't think Sheik likes to take bumps. Well, he's, you know, he's taking some bumps here, and it's making the match more exciting because it's not just Volkov and Sheik stomping on poor Davy Boy. So after that, both Dynamite and Volkov are tagged in. After a push-off, we get a pretty big botch. So Nikolai swings wildly off of this rope running to try and clothesline Dynamite. But Dynamite goes for to go underneath it, I think, but he ducks to the wrong side of Volkov's body, so they actually just collide. And they both kind of go down, and they just have to kind of sell it as if somehow Dynamite got hurt, because I think he was supposed to get hurt. So they just have to kind of move on. They got to move on. So Dynamite's down, selling for them. Volkov picks him up in a bear hug, but it gets way too high. Like he's almost, instead of having, almost like a potato sack bear hug, you know, like Dynamite's already halfway over his shoulder. Like, so he slides down Volkov's back for the, uh, you know, for the sunset flip and gets a two count. And of course that doesn't work as far as getting him pinned. From there, Billy Jack Haynes is tagged in and so is Butch Reed. And this is kind of this interesting matchup that I don't remember these guys fighting. So it was neat to see them in the ring together. Both guys are in yellow trunks and boots. They look like they could be a tag team. <laughs> the natural and the, I don't know, the, the whatever, the, the Billy Jack. Butch Jack. The Portland. <laughs> right. Where is he from? The Oregon. Uh, <laughs> that's what yeah. the, that's the, the Bobby Heenan. That's how we know where to ship the body. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, Butch Reed, where is he from? Well, he came from the Kansas City territory. We saw a note on that where Slick and him had their contracts purchased from Kansas City by the WWF. Um, you know, Bill's I think out of like a like mid out of the south somewhere, wasn't he? For sure, yeah. I, I can't. It's yeah. slipping my tongue. I mean, I, I saw I just saw this match and they announced where he's from, but where he's billed from, I'm not sure where he's actually from. Right. But I mean, he definitely was in a lot of different territories, and he goes on to do a lot of great things. And he's very memorable in this run with the WWF. But I can't say that he actually accomplished a lot in this run in the WWF. Like he was yeah. sort of he was just there. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, of course, was in the tournament for the belt at WrestleMania Four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's still around in 87 and 88, but it kind of feels like he comes and goes pretty quick. But he's there longer than you would than you would think. So after a little bit of uh, an encounter between the two of them, Reed comes out on top of a shoulder block. He knocks Billy Jack Haynes over, but he's caught on the next bounce off with a hip toss. And that leads to both men trying to drop elbow drops, and they both roll out of the way and then quickly back up to their feet, ready to ah, ready to fight. Right. Do we get a test of strength from them? Not exactly, no. Kind of like begs for it, both of them. Exactly. Power physiques. guys, yeah. Total power guys. So Dynamite Kid comes in, but he's quickly dumped on the back of his head through a back suplex by Butch Reed. It looks pretty, uh, looks pretty good. It looks pretty, pretty solid. So Dynamite's in a little bit of trouble, but right away, Volkov comes in and tries a whip and a boot. But Dynamite catches his foot, a la what Davey Boy did to Sheik, and he tags in Davey Boy. 
And David whips Volkov and drops him with that reverse elbow that I've seen him do to Volkov several times. And Butch Reed gets in right away. He tags Volkov as he's down and comes in, but Davy Boy just immediately grabs him, whips him off the ropes, and sends him for a really high back body drop. Now, usually it's Davy Boy taking the high back body drops, but in this case, Butch Reed's the man going for the ride. So Davy Boy, whip, he, he goes to whip Reed off the ropes, and he tags in Billy Jack Haynes. He does a drop down, and Billy ja- and pardon me, and Reed goes over the top and runs right into the full Nelson. Uh-oh. So yeah, Billy Jack doesn't quite have the fingers locked, even though they say he has the fingers locked, but he doesn't have the fingers locked. Ah. But Butch Reed's struggling towards the ropes, and he's leaning forward, and of course this brings in all the other combatants. So the Bulldogs and Sheik and Volkov start basically battling to the point where they're both outside of the ring, so they're on the floor fighting on the outside, and the ref's trying to stop all this extracurricular brawling, and he's out of the way. So Reed has now leaned to the point where he's almost, his head's between the second and the top rope. And because Billy Jack Haynes has him in a full Nelson, that means his head is between those in that same position. And here we go, Slick. I, I can't remember him getting in a lot of these, but he does the big over-the-top head swing with the cane, and he pops Billy Jack Haynes right in the head. A cane, right? Well, yeah. I, so I, is the cast in view? The cast is in view, but he uses a cane. I don't mm. know if, uh, okay. I guess Freddie Blassie gave it to him as a gift or something. Right. And uh, yeah, cracks him with a cane. Billy Jack Haynes falls backwards as the ref, you know, kind of turns around and realizes there's a pinfall attempt happening and we get a one, two, three. Wow. And the heels get the cheaty win. Ha. <laughs> and it's kind of fun to watch. I don't, I don't like watching the Bulldogs lose a match, but they technically didn't lose. Uh, Billy Jack did. And uh, I do enjoy watching Sheik with his celebration afterwards. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah? What's he do? Well, just the way he kind of like, you know, he, he's got to get it. He's flexing, you know. He's got right. the, the muscle gut. And pose the, down. <laughs> the yeah. pose down, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the end of that match. These these televised matches are usually quite short, and, but they accomplish something. And again, just it's neat to see these different variations. So right afterwards, you know, we, we go to an interview segment, which is kind of a follow up to this, but not. Oh, actually, before we sorry, before we go away from that match, we, it's totally worth mentioning. It's really funny. Monsoon's bitterly complaining about this illegal cane shot, and Bobby Heenan's doing his great, like playing dumb, like. Oh, what happened? I didn't see it. And then he's like, well, let's see it on the replay. So then they go through the replay and Monsoon's like, and then there that happened. And then this, and then, he, and then and Bobby Heenan's like, what? Who? Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> like he requests the replay and then he doesn't pay attention yeah. to it. <laughs> Love it. And after that match, we end up with another Ken Resnick segment where he's, he's interviewing Slick, Sheik, and Volkov. It's business time because I think I hear the word business about six times in this short <laughs> promo. At least in the first uh, minute, because uh, he wants to know how much money did actually transpire between you and Bobby Heenan. And he said, Nobody's business, how much money I spent, says Slick. And then he also wants to know uh, what happened to his, how did your hand get broken? Nobody's business about that. But I'll tell you what, Butch Reed's going to take care of business, and I'm here to take care of business, and then somebody's going to get some business. <laughs> it's all over the place. But he does say that someone will get their the revenge will be somehow gained. But he doesn't really say who broke his hand. That doesn't that's right. actually... That comes... That's, of course, Matilda broke his hand. And oh, okay. She chased... Yeah, we talked about that in a previous <laughs> show. She chased him up the post and he right. fell to the outside. Like, yeah. legit, he legit broke his arm. Yeah, so. that's like a real cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're still on the title hunt. Sheik and Volkov to beat the English Bulldog, whatever. And, um, of course, you've heard our... You've heard us lament at the Bulldogs getting chumped uh, at the hands of Sheik and Volkov. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over and over again, <laughs> the further we look, the more yeah, right. it seems the we, can't, it <laughs> yeah, we can't turn o- over any rocks without finding some 
the murky undergrowth anyway. So yeah, this is a is a, a promo getting ready for another match where they're going to regain their belts. So uh, they turn it over to Volkov and Nikolai. Uh, you know, he's talking about a, a win, a clean right, win, yeah, which right. we, you know, but he's talking about uh, beating the Bulldogs in a non-title match. He just want to make some, he just make one flub, Volkov. He goes, <laughs> don't knock it now. <laughs> Those belts don't belong to us. <laughs> yeah, you're trying right. to say they do belong to us. <laughs> he turns it over to Nikolai and, I'm uh, sorry, just to the Sheik. And, uh, you know, he, he, before long, he has to take off his headdress. He, I'm excited because of respectable Kenneth American intelligent people know. <laughs> Shiki, number one. And uh, he, he, he mentions Khrushchev, Ayatollah Khomeini, <laughs> listing all the people who will be happy to see the English bulldog lose the title belts to Sheik and Volkov. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> go for it every time. And they, they of course, close out with the cameraman zoom as the as they literally, like, fade to black. <laughs> it's great stuff. All six men in the ring now as Mayhem is broken loose. Oh, did you see that? See what? From the outside, a clobber job with a cane. Give me a break. I must have missed that, Monsoon. What happened? There's what happened right there. The Slickster lowered the boom. Here are your winners, the team of Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik, and the Natural Butch Reed. Uh, I would have to say that they stole that, Bob. Well, you know, I, my, my attention, my attention was, uh, I was turned the other way. Would you explain to me what happened? I'll show you exactly what happened. Fine. Let's go back and run the video replay. Here it comes. Look at this. In the graphs now, the full Nelson. Everyone knows when he slaps this on and gets those fingers locked, it's curtains, and the Slickster knows that too. Look at the right corner what? of the screen right Ooh. there. Whammo. The cane. Uh, I'll right. that Pardon? Are I just received a message. I wasn't looking. What? Are you kidding me? What happened? Oh. Highway robbery. That's what happened. The winner. So Ken Resnick, with no mustache, is uh, interviewing Mr. T. No, 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 it's JYD, but he's got all this gold on. I've never exactly. seen him. He never Maybe wears... Exactly, why you think he's Mr. T. Yeah, yeah. he's totally... He was all the bling. I don't know what's yeah. going on. It looks like about uh, 15 to 20 necklaces on Yeah, and a pair of shades dangling yeah, right. yeah. as well. And he's uh, talking to Ken Resnick, and um, they're talking about a Paul Orndorff match. And it's actually, JYD, I didn't understand some of the things he was saying, like I, the words. Yeah. He, he drops his voice low, and I'm yes. like, what? He, mu- he muttered a bit, and... Like, I don't want to say he was drunk or something, but yeah, he didn't, he wasn't speaking very clearly. Some of that's intentional because it's like the way his character talks, kind of rah, 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 kind of does a bit of that. But yeah, it, it, there was a part there that was sort of like, can we get a translator? <laughs> it got a little confusing because there was one point where he's like references almost like he's saying, you know, like that, you got to get through me you're to get gonna, to Hogan. You're not going to walk past me. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get through me to get to Hogan. Yeah. And uh, and then he almost made reference to like the boss, where I was like, he's not calling Hogan the boss, is he? Or... I think he kind of was in that instance. Right. You know what I mean? Well, was there anything else about the promo that sounded a bit defiant? Defiant, where he was like, I'm number one, I'm the best, because like you know, <laughs> not quite. No, no, he was like, uh, so. he, he was... kind of went into a bit of the like Valley of Darkness. He was like, he was using some different metaphors about like what was going to happen to Orndorf. Yeah, and it's well, yeah, go ahead. Well, basically, uh, well, I was going to now transition because uh, Hogan says, uh, Hogan, if you're out there, when exactly, Hogan's yeah. standing like eight <laughs> feet away. <laughs> 
you know, you're going to mess with one of my ancestors tonight, you know, like, because he's wrestling the African Kamala. Yes, So right. JYD's making a little nod to his roots. And next thing you know, I mean, I'm not quite sure where JYD's going. Like, sort of like, take it easy, on my, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, my, I'm my, my brother man or something. Because, <laughs> you know, Kamala does have this streak of innocence to him where, you know, he never actually does anything. Yeah, he, he's dangerous, but it's not like, it's not intentional. <laughs> yeah, not particularly cruel. And Hogan comes in and joins the, the whole promo Hogan is wrestling Kamala so the focus now switches to that and uh, you know Hogan does uh, a lot of his he's got his own version of the dusty talk the jive talk you know the yeah. fast talk you know it reminded usually, me a bit of the Flair Horseman stuff. I'm going to be out, we're going out on the town. He kept he brought that up a few times that after they beat yeah. those guys, they're going to be out on the town yeah. partying. It's and like, he also copies JYD for one second. You know, yeah. he does the JYD voice. Like Hogan loves yeah. to like you know he can't. I guess it's like a he's just such a fan of wrestling that whenever something is going over, he gets in on it. You yeah, know, that's right. Um, and so yeah, he's talking about his match with Kamala. And it makes me really think just about our, you know, our WrestleMania 2 dream feud. That's right. <laughs> of uh, JYD turning on Hogan. It could have been great. And then, and then you know, JYD uh, headlining with Hogan. Yeah, it's just weird. JYD looked different in this interview than he did the last time I saw him. And I think he looked different, a lot different than he's going to look at Saturday's main event. And these are all within days of each other. So I don't know what the hell's going on. But he, he did promise uh, JYD he'd put a bunch of gold on him if he uh, was yeah. you know, to eliminate Orndorff. <laughs> and then Hogan will be covered in diamonds. Yes, exactly. I, huh? <laughs> oh, well. And all of this is going to lead us to this card in Boston. And we're going to take you to one of our feature matches this week. And it's a title defense of Hulk Hogan versus... The Ugandan giant Kamala. Okay, Kamala. Uh, now that he's done with Leap and Lanny Poffo, <laughs> the gatekeeper, and the new That's gatekeeper right. of the WWF. You don't work your way up the ranks, you got to beat a Poffo. That's right. A lot of people are shaking in their boots when they see <laughs> the, across the ring the mighty leaping Lanny and his curly locks. No, it's Kamala. He is challenging Hulk Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship in Boston. What I really like is going to watch this is that you, um, there's about 11 shows. Of they, you know, Boston gets a card a month, you know, more or less. Gorilla Monsoon makes a reference to the New England Sports Network at the end of the whole yeah, thing. N-E-S-N, yeah. Was one of the first times I made note of it, you know, New England Sports Network. Very good, fine. So that's who's broadcasting this. Yeah, most of the matches end up airing down the road on primetime or different syndicated properties, but uh, some of the matches, including this main event, are not on TV, except for on what you just said, the Boston NESN cable network. Right. So when you go to the screen, to, you know, if you type in Boston 1986, there's 11 cards you could watch. What I, what, I, what I appreciate is each one's got a little, you know, freeze frame, and one of them is the Duke of Dorchester <laughs> leaning through the ropes in that awesome, like he's like a lion who's broken out of his cage, you know, and he's just, yeah, and he's missing a bunch of teeth, and he's it's just like, it's just cool. Cool, like a little, I mean, he wasn't a very famous guy, and it's only you know, the you know, they chose yeah. his face of all the matches. It wasn't even that's right, he, well, he wasn't in the main event, no, no, <laughs> but it like it's just such a great image of him, like, yeah, snarling and scaring yeah. the kids. There's, there's a lot <laughs> of jobbers who get glorified and get a lot of play online of like, oh, who was the greatest jobber, and these guys get brought up over and over and again. I don't see his name a lot, but <laughs> he, he should be up there, yeah. Well, I like that they put he's the face of uh, the, the card that <laughs> of that particular card. 
It's not Hogan, but Pete Doherty. Of course, um, he's got that Boston accent, if you ever hear. You little bastard with the paper clips (laughs) and the rubber band. I know you're out there. Lots of cool stuff you can watch on the WWE Network. So, Hulk Hogan versus Kamala. Ken Resnick's on the mic. An AWA holdover, but he's lost his 80s. It's still the 80s, and he's lost the mustache. McMahon didn't like mustaches, so he had a a mustache quota. (laughs) Right. Okerlund had the grandfather clause. Yeah. Kamala had the fucking coolest entrance music and yeah. i i wanted to find out and here's the thing you get to hear it on the wwe network like this right. is the actual and there's a really cool camera a crowd shot of a kid he's only about like nine or ten and the music starts up he freezes like you know <laughs> just like every british soldier i saw the in this, here <laughs> yeah and like and he's beside his dad who's this big you know grown-up guy you know and like but the dad's got the same look in his face <laughs> and both of them are like oh shit he's coming you know <laughs> It's, it's really awesome because the kid's like, I got my dad here. And the dad's like, it's all fake. And then, you know, but both of them like really catch the eye and capture the magic of theater and spectacle. And uh, and that music, Native Terror, was the only hint at a title or, you know, actual name of the song that I could find. And uh, here's a funny thing. I actually, my brother today got in the mail. It's his birthday. He got a copy of The Exorcist. Okay. Yeah. He has a big movie collection. Anyway, I told him how somehow the WWE used the theme song for The Exorcist to open their second Saturday Night's Main event, this Halloween one, and how spooky it was, and how we were, like, drawn in by the, you know, horror music. That's right. And uh, so happy birthday to my brother. Spawn of Satan. Anyway, uh, I don't know how it is that they've got that copyright issue sorted and they can use that music and they won't let us hear, you know, Black Sabbath, that we don't get to hear ELO, we don't get to hear... I think we were using a file that was not on the network when we watched that show. Well, that would explain it. It seems to me that it's not 100% consistent. Anyway, uh, I guess maybe the, the their writers wrote this song, but to me it reminds me of every, like, it, not only these war movies, but National Geographic and a whole, it's like, it just it <laughs> goes right to your imagination. So it's one of the best theme songs is, is Kamala's entrance music. He also has his entourage, Kim Chi. Who could it be? Paul Undorf, Donkey Tonk Man, who's in there? <laughs> yeah. As long as you got a thick back and neck and shoulders, you can be Kim Chi on <laughs> yes. the night. And the wizard is in tow as well. He's got this big tooth around his neck. You know, it's his scent diffuser. It's his, you know, uh, megaphone. His, right. his, you know, his foreign object. That's you right. Know, to, his branding to, iron. Yeah. His weapon. The commentators say that it's got a name. It's the Tooth of Shaka Khan. Okay. Yeah. If Shaka I heard Khan. I'd forgotten about it. There was a song in the 80s called Shaka Khan, and you're going to get to hear it, folks. Here's a little <laughs> taste of. Uh, so imagine Kamala coming to the ring to this. Shaka, 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 Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan, let me rock it, that's all I want to do, Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me feel for you, Shaka Khan, what you tell me, what you want to do, do you feel for me, the way I feel for you, Shaka Khan, let me tell you what I want to do, I want to love you, want to hug you, want to squeeze you too, so let me take it in my arms, let me feel you with my charm, Shaka, cause you know that I'm the one to keep you warm, Shaka, I make it more than just a physical dream, I want to rock you, Shaka, baby, cause you make me want to scream, let me rock it, rock it. Everybody, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, everybody. Anyway, so um, I remember at one point hearing the top 10 at 10 as a young kid and Madonna was on there with probably like a virgin and Shaka Khan was on there and with their, I think the band was also called Shaka Khan. Okay. 
And so I didn't know the difference particularly, you know. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, of course, Madonna went on to be a cultural fixture for the rest of our lives. And Shaka Khan was a one-hit wonder. <laughs> the tooth of Shaka Khan will play, play a mighty role in this match. Okay. Before the action starts, they tell us that Kamala weighs in at over 400 pounds compared to uh, Hogan, who's uh, 300. Like Hogan, you know, it's funny to think about the promos, like he's the biggest wrestler ever (laughs) that will be and like outweighed so heavily by, you know, and then remember Elmer and Bundy, you know, tipping the scales. And so Hogan's a lightweight sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, if he could try. That's why, you know, we said he likes likes wrestling big men because it makes him, you know, more sympathetic as a baby face to be wrestling someone bigger than him when he's beaten up on a guy that's 250 pounds or 230 pounds like savage you know it's hard for hogan to come across as the the champion white knight before the match begins we get a little build on behalf of gorilla monsoon and uh i wonder if, if this was happened in boston gardens probably but uh, they say that george Steele was taken out on a stretcher when he faced kamala and got a top rope ah, splash yes i think i maybe read that yeah i think i was coming through that when i was combing through the The results, that sounds familiar. So the commentators are building the threat of Kamala. When Hogan's music plays, Kamala does this great ear covering wailing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he's yeah, just yeah. having a total fit in the his corner and Kim Chi's trying to calm him down. And the, <laughs> like it's like the cheering hurts his ears. It's really great. And he's stamping his feet, this huge 400. It's like an elephant raging. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh my God. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, uh, Kamala's great. I liked him then. Yeah. And now, of course, as as we all know, we look at it so differently now. I mean, you now you look back and you're like, what other gimmicks did he have? And what became of him and uh he he went on i think he's pretty young here because i think he looks about the same he, he, he there will be matches of his that are like 2002 i'm like he just, that's come out you know i don't <laughs> quite know but like he didn't appear to to age you know very right, badly yeah. he, he um he had a long career as far as i can tell really a really cool gimmick that he was a villain who was more bewildered and just didn't know what was going on and not actually evil hearted particularly you know he's yeah being very different simple-minded was what i saw on the on the internet which yeah different from a lot of these other villains who are just nasty nasty guys so the bell does ring and uh hogan gives a belt over to the ref it's no longer his it's up for grabs <laughs> sure was hogan in the just the typical red and yellow at this point or yeah yeah his his figure, his colors from his big toy, his immovable toy, irresistible limbs of the LJN <laughs> series in the red and yellow. And uh, we get a belly slap from Kamala before the first collar and elbow. The commentator's hyperbole is unavoidable in the <laughs> show, the realm of theater. So they're saying, like, the toughest test ever, <laughs> uh, you know, of course. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So off camera, we don't quite see it, but they tell us that Kamala bounces off the ropes Hogan stands his ground, and we get a shoulder block, even. Yes. So they stare off and pause for a second. Kamala looks a little bewildered that, uh, you know, he didn't... He didn't go down. Yeah. Now Hogan bounces himself off the ropes, and Kamala holds his ground. Same result. So they're taking their time. Nice, slow build. Hogan should tag in Lanny Puffo and let him take a crack at it. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Lanny had a style that worked for a little while there. (laughs) So third go, Hogan bounces off the ropes, but Kamala goes for a fucking leapfrog. Yeah, yeah. 400 pounds over 300 pounds. And except for he starts it a little bit too early. So instead of going straight up, he's kind of going to do a big, you know, hop and Kamala stumbles and falls down. (laughs) Oopsie. (laughs) And Hogan realizes that he's got to wait. 
Kamala gets up, bounces off the rope, and shoulder blocks Hogan down. Okay. So Hogan does take the first, you know, in other words, the first actual clash, uh, if you can forgive the botch, Hogan <laughs> loses. Uh, you know, and then the commentators are pretending to not really notice that Kamala fell down. They're like, ooh, Hogan not used to coming up on the short end of that right. after we've all, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a shame. So Hogan looks worried as Kamala's slapping his belly. It's Kamala who's on his feet and Hogan's on one knee looking around at the crowd like, what have I gotten into? Too. <laughs> they should have like a little fire going at ringside to like, you know, Kamala can roast his opponent when he's, after he's finished him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be going down that cannibal path a little bit <laughs> in this match. In this match. Gorilla Monsoon again is, re- now he specifies it was a top rope splash that uh, put right, Steel yeah. away. Hogan goes for a body slam, but he fails. So it's always a part of Hogan versus the big man. Is his... Falling all the way back or? Uh, no. In this case, Kamala clubs Hogan's back with his forearm while Hogan's in that position, so Hogan doesn't wind up. That's that's how it the spot goes. It doesn't become a pinning attempt. <laughs> no. I mean, Hogan doesn't fall down. He gets clubbed. And Kamala starts, you know, taking over with his chops. And Kamala is able, with a 100-pound weight advantage, to body slam Hulk Hogan. And Hogan's on the defense. He's getting hit every which way. He's on his knees, taking damage. He has uh, chops and a reverse thr- thrust kick, which is, you know, where Kamala kind of yeah, like... Yeah, that's a release, like common move for him like that's what I was like you're, you're gonna you watch a Kamala match you're gonna see a reverse thrust kick and then uh Hogan's on the uh defensive Kamala goes for these really big drop chops where you know he starts up and just he, he actually falls to the mat while he comes down right. with his karate you know coconut splitter remember uh the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where the guy was jumping around the trees and he would crack open a coconut all the different fighters of the world uh blood sport <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah, one, yeah. Of, one of the fighters was like, you know, <laughs> he did a kind of couple, a bizarre, you know, he was not Kamala's size, that's for sure. That's right. So Hogan rolls out of the way one of these big drop chops, and then another big drop chop. Hogan gets out of the way, and then Hogan pops to his feet and shakes his head like, uh, uh-uh, time for me. So it's a mini Hulk up. Hogan does his best to uh, fall the big giant, to fell the giant, <laughs> to autumn the giant. <laughs> We have chops and knees and elbows and fists, but Kamala will not go down. He just does a whole big kind of arcing his back and like, whoa, 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 trying to catch his balance. But no, uh, none of these aggressive tactics are enough to actually put Kamala on his back. So Kimchi jumps up onto the apron and uh, Hogan can drop him no problem. So Hogan (laughs) goes over and gives Kimchi a big punch, but he stays in the action because he just falls to the apron, not to the floor. So Hogan reaches down and begins to choke Kimchi. (laughs) Who hasn't actually done anything yet? He's just getting up there. You know. I got up in the apron. So this gives Kamala a chance to hit Hogan from behind with a double axe handle across the back. You know, basically laces his fists and just clubs Hogan. The referee goes over to talk to Kimchi, and this is when the tooth of Shaka Khan gets thrown into the ring, and Kamala takes it and rakes it across, you know, basically stabs Hogan in the forehead with it. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, uh, of course, Hogan does give color. Uh, I don't uh-huh. see when he does it, but uh, I've never seen Hogan, Hogan so bloody by the time the match is done. Wow. Kamala chops and chokes Hogan, and the crowd is chanting for their bloodied fallen hero because it, it starts to flow right away. Right. Kamala's battering Hogan, and before long, he gets some blood on his hands. He gets a little taste, and this is where, you know, like, you know, fire up the, the cauldron, you know? <laughs> We're making Hogan stew. It's the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Start cutting the carrots into it. That's right, and the onions. <laughs> We're making a Hogan stew. So he uh, bites Hogan, starts oh, chewing on that, yeah. you know, wound. And then, incredible, Kamala hoists 
Hogan up way high into the sky for that hangman choke that we've seen. Oh, nice. Yeah, we've seen Steamboat do it to Savage. And, yeah. uh, you know, but to do it to Hogan, that takes a lot of strength. Oh, yeah. Impressive. Drops him to the mat. Goes to the mat to Hogan. Double choke Hogan. <laughs> Kamala's strangling him. Then he picks him up and does it again. So he's got the strength to deadlift Hogan twice off the mat and, and give him that hangman choke. Very impressive. Drops Hogan again to the mat. Hogan's reaching out a la Ricky Morton. Help me. Looking for the tag. <laughs> we have more strikes from Kamala. And at one point, he just kind of like, looks like he's trying to tear Hogan's forehead in half. He goes in there and he's just like ripping away. As Monsoon says, ripping away at the injury. Very vicious. Then we get some kind of a variation of the avalanche where Kamala picks up Hogan, puts him in the corner, and then he's but Hogan's trapped. He doesn't go to across the, the ring, giving the guy a chance to get away. Yeah. He just gives him like three squashes where Hogan can't is basically trapped against the turnbuckle in the corner and uh, three standing avalanches. Hogan staggers and falls conveniently into the middle of the ring, <laughs> where Kamala starts to climb to the top rope. Oh. And then we get the yeah, he goes up to the third rope, and then we get the third reference today. Oh, this is how he put George the Animal Steel in the os- in the hospital. Hogan wisely just basically crawls out of range. So okay, Kamala has yeah. to come back down and can't get Hogan in that top rope splash, which put away George the Animal Steel. More battering of Hogan. Kamala chops and punches and kicks. Hogan tries a rally. One of the only wrestling moves is an Irish whip. <laughs> we finally see. <laughs> yeah. And a reverse chop. Hogan falls down in the center of the ring. Kamala bounces off the ropes and del- delivers a big splash for the one and the two. And Hogan, his kick out is more kind of like a, more like a sneak out. Like, okay, he, yeah, yeah. It's like he kind of, Kamala hasn't hooked a leg. And so by the time the three would be there, Hogan's not even underneath Count Kamala anymore. It's oh, like, okay. yeah, Kamala's still there, but Hogan's kind of like, <laughs> you know, just kind of slipped his way uh, out from underneath Kamala as opposed to like kicking him off. So right. it really looked like he was in danger there of, of going down. But no, it is the beginning of the Hulk up. And then like the kickout got a big pop from the the audience. Yeah. So Kamala continues with the strikes as the Hulk up begins. And you know that we're the beginning has the, the end has begun. So uh, eventually hits don't hurt Hogan anymore. And he just shakes his head. Nope, we're done. A couple of <laughs> hoof faces. And then Hogan blocks one of Kamala's big strike attempts. And then we get a couple of fists from Hogan. The Irish whip into the corner, followed by the clothesline classic Hogan offense. And then we get an Irish whip for the big boot, the successful body slam, huge audience roar, off the ropes for the big leg drop. And then Hogan gives a back-to-belly cover where he does actually grab one of Kamala's legs to hook it and gets the one and the two and the three. And Hogan's never been so blood-soaked. Kamala's on his feet immediately. bewildered that what's yeah. happened but he has lost hogan swings around his belt because he doesn't want to fight anymore this ugandan <laughs> giant so kamala just takes off kimchi brings his charge out of the ring and the three villains go to the dressing room while hogan does his usual pose down and you know part of hogan's pose down which i don't think we've ever really, really articulated is a competition between which side yeah, can course, cheer yes. the loudest you know he yeah. points to you guys can you guys cheer louder and then how about you guys can you guys cheer louder <laughs> so he picks a favorite and then they get the last you know double biceps and That's pose right. down yeah. so there's always a little game to play after uh you know hogan wins i was expecting a spot where hogan was gonna <laughs> 
he was going to start having lunch. You know, usually if someone bites him, then he's going to bite him back. Yeah. You know, Hogan didn't really get a lot of offense in, you know, like the finger rakes and the, you know, eye gouging. It was a pretty clean Hogan. Of course, hyperbole. The hardest fought battle of this young man's career, says Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> and that is Hogan successfully defending his world title in the Boston Gardens in late 1986. Yeah, I've heard that it was a very successful tour overall. Uh, they, they had many matches over a pretty long period of time. I never got like super mainstream storyline you know like never was like the top top story we saw on tv but certainly i can remember those no promos no sneak attack I, I'm, I'm almost certain there was a winnipeg like hogan versus kamala card or something because it just having like flashbacks billy red lions <laughs> interviews about that or maybe it was matches in toronto or something they were advertising but either way it kind of just goes along with the idea that hogan loved the success he had with certain big wrestlers and that's why he throughout his career, even into like the mid late 90s and towards the end, he was always looking for the next big guy <laughs> to stick in there that he could body slam and Zeus vanquish. Some quick notes here. December 9th, Ken Patera is released from prison. I went and looked up some of the uh, shit that went down and uh, apparently he they were filming a commercial for a McDonald's and he wanted some cheeseburgers and uh, yeah yeah, and then he went back and threw a stone yeah I knew that part I always thought it was late at night though yeah late at night they're filming commercial late at night you could sure okay yeah Yeah. Yeah. you know I mean film crews could work you know at at any hour yeah so maybe they did it when I mean but I think he was going there expecting business hours I'm not sure but I did if I remember correctly they're on foot and they're trying to go through the drive-thru on foot so they wouldn't serve them so him and I'm forgetting who the other wrestler is someone famous as well right and, uh, but then yeah. at the motel, all these cops show up and they just, Patera and Saido, you know. Yeah, yeah, beat, that was it, yeah. Beat, beat up these cops. Bunch of cops. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of cops. Now, to this day, at last year's show, Tales of the Territories, or whatever that, that episode was called, um, you know, he, Ken Patera's on one of those. And they literally talk about the story and reenact it, right? And Ken, to this day, will not admit to it. He says somebody else came up and threw that rock through and he was kind of just like, hey, what are you doing? And then he was framed. <laughs> Wow. But even, I think someone on that show even kind of just gave him a little like wink of a sort of like, a, you know what, come on, <laughs> you can't right. bullshit a bullshitter. But wow, I mean, he did some hard time. And at a bad time, you know, like really he missed, he was there. He was so important. And then like the peak of wrestling was ha- happened and he was sitting in jail. Right. And by the time he came out, we saw what we saw, which was that, you know, he'd, he'd kind of aged out a bit. He'd be, he'd bulked up, but you know, he'd lost all that awesome muscle. Like he was like just big thick. And, and wasn't as mobile, didn't look as scary. And McMahon, unfortunately, went for the whole redemption story of like, hey, let's make him a good guy instead of just bringing him back as the nasty heel he'd always been. And I think that that was just a lesser than. I wonder if, even if he just came back as the brown hair, but just as a bad guy, like if he just tried to sort of re, you know, like him angry at the world because of this, what had happened to him, you know, that, that might have gone over better than than trying to get people to cheer for him as a, yeah, as a baby face. Yeah, and it's, I, I didn't feel a lot of excitement for ba- for babyface Ken Patera, I'm afraid, <laughs> no, either. No, no, for sure. So we're going to skip over this, but I'm almost kind of putting a call out. We're saving it for our next Saturday Night's Main Event episode, the March episode, March Saturday Main Event. So there is a really sort of famous, I want to say in like a, a Tom McGee kind of style, there's a famous Snake Pit episode, another Hulk Hogan Snake Pit episode, which I can remember, but it's only listed as being shown in two places, Providence and Winnipeg. So most people listening to this did not see it. But you as big wrestling fans may know what I'm talking about, where I'm going, but we're going to save that for the next episode to tie it in with, with everything about that happens in that episode. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is that 
if you know more about it, if you've seen a clip of the actual footage, because I haven't been able to find the footage from that Wrestling Challenge uh, episode, email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. So yeah, we'll get back to that on our next Iron Man event episode and really expand on this really cool Snake Pit episode that I saw as a kid and was confused when I saw a different Snake Pit episode recently, but it all makes sense now. Lastly, just want to note that there was a dark match on December 10th. It's pretty cool. It's Hogan and Roddy Piper versus Paul Orndorff and Harley Race. Wow, that sounds fucking epic. Yeah, it's on a one of these recorded shows where they're doing a lot of TV for uh, a lot of stuff for TV. Now, unfortunately, it's not it's a dark match, so it doesn't air on any of those shows. It does list it as being on I think something called like uh, WWF unreleased like 1985 to 1992 or something, but I haven't been able to find any video of that or the match or, you know, any way to see that video. Um it wasn't on the network. It's not anything online that I can find, but yeah, I'd love to see one of these you know, Hogan and Piper tag teaming because it's just, it's kind of, if you're talking 1985 WWF, the thought of Hogan and Piper being a team is just unthinkable. That was a missed opportunity to have these two tag and then fight Orndorff. That's right. Okay, so we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up the next couple of weeks of syndicated TV. There's lots of it to get to. Here we go. So the issue is Andre the Giant and his comings and goings and where he was, where he wasn't. And uh, I didn't see any of this stuff at the time, actually. Well, I mean, I guess we have established that these were not programs that we were able to watch anyway. So that's hardly a revelation. Anyway, these are like, it seems to me that uh, they're really almost already tipping the uh, hand, uh, you know, like you know, at Andre's heel turn. Yeah, I'm not sure how much they've given away. Less than sometimes. Sometimes they like to hit us right on the head with things, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's still a little bit cloak and dagger. You do see Andre at times, so he's still smiling. And, I, I, you know, as a kid, a couple of these things do come across superstars, not each piece of them. Um, one of them specifically from Superstars Wrestling that we're going to talk about here in a second. But, yeah, it's it's this, like, drawn-out, multi-week sort of Andre's return and everyone wants to know about it. And the guy who was on, you know, leading the charge of getting rid of Andre suddenly is kind of, that's the thing that kind of gives, you know, a little bit of a hint is that Bobby's all of a sudden neutral and kind of quiet. (laughs) Well, it starts with Jack Tunney and uh, Jesse the Body Ventura, who's got a pretty awesome looking tie-dyed jacket on with sequin sort of accents on like the lapels and stuff. It's pretty groovy. And he's got his chandelier earrings and and he's got his... uh, can't see his eyes, but he's uh, he's doing his Geraldo, Geraldo Rivera thing. They're really <laughs> going for an investigative journalism, right. get to the bottom. So he's grilling Jack Tunney, and Jack Tunney is playing very elusive and slippery too. And you're giving yeah. he ultimately gives us the information that Andre was not at his reinstatement hearing, but Bobby the Brain Heenan was, and they're going to hammer this information home, you know, over the next, like, over, over several segments, but, and uh, Jesse's... I like when uh, Jesse introduces the crowd to Jack Tunney, as if they might not know who he is. Well, this guy, was he a former wrestler? Why? No, no, he's the Tunney family, like Toronto, like Maple Leaf Wrestling. Okay, so... So that's how he got, he was, he got involved with Canadian promotion for the WWF, and he became the figurehead president, the you know, fictional president. Based on that, he just was, that was a useful thing to use him for. And, you know, he remained in that role for a very long time. Right. Okay. So Jim Barnett, that's another name that we've heard a lot in Canadian promoting. No, more just everywhere. He was, he he was more down in like, you know, Georgia and all that stuff in Australia. And yeah, he's, he's everywhere. (laughs) Jim Jim Barnett's like, as you said, he's little finger. He's, he's ducking and hiding in the shadows and Hmm. always coming out on the right side of the coin. So, so to speak. Well, 
Jack Tunney uh, is uh, the it it it's kind of fun because uh, you know Jesse's always got a, a you know a really enjoyable uh, he's just a great performer. Uh, Jack Tunney is not, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, you know we've already got the salient points that that there's yeah. mystery going on. Uh, well, uh, Jesse gives him the. Uh, this is Mr. Jack Tunney, and I use the Mr. loosely. <laughs> yeah. About a half a minute later, Jack Tunney's eyebrow goes up, huh? Yeah, and it was, the I guess, the week before this on Wrestling Challenge, they showed a very short clip of, you know, Tunney just, you know, just making a statement, you know, reinstating Andre, and for some reason throwing in the fact that, he, that Andre wasn't there and Heenan was. And I love, I love uh, Monsoon on the Wrestling Challenge just trying to get Bobby Heenan to you know, expand on these things. And he's like, and Bobby Heenan is trying to change the subject to like what's going on in the ring. (laughs) Yeah, we get all of Heenan's best mannerisms and flustered (laughs) and his subterfuge. So it's always fun to watch uh, Heenan under attack from Gorilla. And uh, well, just wait a minute, you know, camera, I can't even know what you're doing. Stop doing that. And just like everything to distract. And also, yeah, uh, Heenan looks like he's got a a really big gash on his forehead. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe he bladed at a a house show. (laughs) They said, down to Crockett for the weekend. He had to he had to bleed. <laughs> yeah, it's really long. It's uh, I I don't ever recall seeing Bobby. He's not one of the guys you think about, like you know Dusty Rhodes, Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> yeah, who who bleeds a lot. But uh, that was another remarkable thing uh, about the uh, about this particular interview. So yeah, that prime time segment of yeah. watching his his head every time they closed in. You're like, oh my god, what happened to him? Not to be too critical, but we already got the point with Jesse and Jack Tunney that you know, yeah. Andre, and and they're not done yet. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Go around the horn. <laughs> That's right. So then the other show where it's not so much a visual of Bobby and Gorilla is like, I, you know, I, one's prime time and one's rest. Yeah, that's chan- challenge. You can't see them pr- okay. prime time. You can. But they do the same shtick, you know, as the, you know, there are wrestlers making their entrance to the ring and uh, there are Howard Finkel's grabbing the mic. And meanwhile, J- Gorilla's asking him the same stuff and. We get the same information. Andre yeah. was not there. Andre's back in. Heenan was and, there. And again, I think it comes back to that idea that like so many people could only see one of each of these shows or whatever. So yeah. they kind of had to repeat it on every show to make you know, get something across. Right. If they didn't repeat it on each show, then it didn't happen. If I had seen this, I would have been like Andre's turning. <laughs> so in case you hadn't already bought your tickets for WrestleMania 3, we have one more interview <laughs> segment to get, you know, <laughs> to get those uh, sparks Firing off in your brain. Jesse the Body interviews Bobby the Brain Heenan. Jesse's got the weirdest pair of sunglasses on. (laughs) They have like a Batman cowl nose on. They're just the Green Hornet or something. Yeah. yeah. They're they're sunglasses that cover his nose. And it's pretty weird. Eventually the camera gets in closer and you can see it. But at first it looks like, you know, a A a Kato mask. But they're sunglasses with a nose guard. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So it's it's the same thing, but uh, it is kind of fun. What's what's it's just to see that uh, the heels, you know, it reminds me of my Jake versus the Macho Man, two heels going at it. Uh, eventually, Heenan, they don't tell us anything new. It's the same stuff, but now Jesse's mad at Bobby for allowing Andre the Giant in, and then Jesse makes and, a boo boo, giving him the dirt. <laughs> yeah. But he makes a boo-boo and calls him a freak in nature. Andre doesn't like that. Not supposed to call Andre a freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slip of the tongue. Anyway, it's very clear now that uh, I I didn't really... I don't remember much except for the Piper's Pit, to be honest. But if I'd seen this stuff, then I would have been like, he's now with... Andre. Yeah, he's 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 a little bit uh, elusive, and then he at one point he basically gets ang- angry with Jesse, and he's like, "Yeah, now wait a minute, why shouldn't he be reinstated?" And you know, he, I love it. He says he's seven foot four, he's over five hundred pounds, he's the most 
agile, <laughs> you know, coordinated, coordinated individual of his size. As long as JYD's there to help him up the stairs. That's right. So that's pretty good. And it's like, and every sentence ends with a period, and he walks out, and then Jesse's just fuming as Bobby leaves. And that's really what the segment for us is like. The, the interesting part of it is just watching like Jesse be upset at Bobby because every other interaction we've ever seen on WWF yeah. is them being buddies. It also makes me wonder about uh, the old good old AWA days for us. And uh, I don't really remember Jesse and Bobby particularly interacting. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, maybe there was some kind of six-man tag where someone from Bobby's camp was wrestling with Adrian and Jesse against, you know, Hogan and Andre or something. The Heenan you know, family. You know, yeah, but they weren't, yeah, they were never 100% direct. But there were rumors that Bobby initially was being brought into the WWF to manage Jesse. Oh. But, hmm. of course, that was around the time that Jesse they started having the health problems, so. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Well, this weekend, this syndicated weekend has a lot of TV things, and we're going, moving on to the next one. You're saying this, Bobby Heenan? You're saying Andre the Giant should be back? You stood there at this meeting and allowed him back? Hey, I don't have to answer to you or anybody else. Andre the Giant is back, and at the end of every sentence is a period. Wait just a minute. You wait a minute. You got to answer to me because I got to get to the bottom of this. The body's got to find out what is going on here with Andre the Giant as well as with Bobby Heenan. So swinging back to this December 13th Wrestling Challenge episode, it's just jam-packed. There's so much stuff in this episode, and we'll be covering many items. But the next thing up is this announcement, the honky-tonk, the follow-up, the fallout from the vote that went against him. And he's not shaking any more dirty diaper baby hands. <laughs> he's not kissing any. <laughs> <laughs> he's not kissing any more dirty diapers. <laughs> okay, we're mixing up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, on purpose. <laughs> but his big thing, his little, his little interview segment, is his big surprise is Jimmy Hart's his manager. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Hart. And I got to say, like, I don't know if there's a more perfect pair for a manager to be with a wrestler like Jimmy Hart. Like, nobody could be a better manager for for Honky Tonk than Jimmy Hart. Yeah, Jimmy's always kept music. Well, I guess maybe not so much with his Jerry Lawler days. I wouldn't know. But when he showed up here, immediately music was his thing. Yeah. Um, Behind the scenes, he was working on the music. and He's he's a talented singer. Exactly. He was like the only guy, or, you know, probably the only guy to sing live at the Slammies. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and I'll bet you he plays instruments too. You know, just usually that happens if you're that, if you're interested in music. And he's always, yeah, got some um, treble claps and musical notes on his, on his outfits. So most, yeah. Yeah, most of his, uh, and, and, you know, again, it came through with the Honky Tonk Man. They, they forced it upon rhythm and blues. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. That wasn't so great. But no, uh, that's okay. I actually, ah, that, okay, so good because... I have a little puzzler for you that I've been working on, and it's a bit of a call ahead. Later, we're going to see, I'm not sure if we mentioned it yet, we're going to give for you Jimmy Hart's stable. I want a name for Hart Stable. That's the okay, that's the yeah. thing because later we see a six man tag, the Hart Foundation. Like the Hart Foundation is such a great tag team name. They, yes, you, you can't really do much better than Neidhart, Bret Hart with Jimmy Hart managing them. The Hart Foundation, yeah. genius, so good that like how do you do? Where do you go when he's got more guys? <laughs> yeah. And so I want you to play this little audio. Heenan doesn't know what to say. Okay. Yeah. So listen to this. Well, I'll tell you when all those six went down the aisle, they look like they're ready, Monsoon. Well, they're all ready. We know the ramifications of this particular six-man matchup. Kind of unusual, I think, indeed, for the Hart Foundation, Jim DeAnvil Neidhart, Brent the Hitman Hart, to team up with the adorable one. Well, he's a member of Jimmy Hart's uh, people that he manages. 
Well, he's got a lot of dues to pay here in the World Wrestling Federation. He's done some, uh, shall we say, underhanded things of late. Right. What do you call him? And basically, <laughs> Mons, we, we haven't got... So I've been trying to think, what do we call you? got Adrian Adonis, the Hart Foundation, and now Honky Tonk Man. And I was trying to think of a good... Because, like, you know, and let's, let's broaden it out here. Some of the best stable names are the Four Horsemen was great, but the Dangerous Alliance yeah. was a really good one. That's right. Bobby Heenan family, you know, we have a soft spot for that. It's not particularly yeah. clever. That was almost Just, like, yeah, that was almost like there was different families all over wrestling, right? Like, it yeah. was kind of a overused right. name. Right. Four Horsemen, if I didn't say that you a second that. ago. Started okay, with, started but, with that, yeah. Yeah, sorry with that. Okay. Well, I think I might have even written a couple of down. Uh, we have some of the worst dudes with attitude. <laughs> Our beloved Mr. Wonderful wound up with Sting and JYD and the you know, Steiners or whatever. Yeah. yeah. A lot of great talent, but yeah. uh, dudes didn't with attitude. Much, didn't make much sense. No, that was a bit of a silly moniker. Probably not even worth breaking up my book. Hellfire Club. X-Men. <laughs> yeah, we love that. Nice, yeah. yeah, I liked it because I always liked chess, but like just as, you know, part of that cool villain team up was their awesome name. Yeah, that's right. The Hellfire Club. So... Uh, yeah, I've, I've been trying to think of, of what would be fun, what would like trip off the tongue, how you could do better than the Heart Foundation, right. you, it's, which is difficult to do. But now that they got, if you throw Honky Tonk into the mix, right? you know, that does open up some possibilities. But you get, before, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's not easy. You know, I was trying to think of like what because like what do you do with where do you go up like the cardiac club or the you know like yeah. trying to play off the words. I also like with Adrian Adonis. I was like, okay, now they're going down this like sort of feminine. Let's irritate the fans with yeah. like the pink aspect of the Heart Foundation and right. and, and yeah. then way over the top with Adrian Adonis. But now with Honky Tonk in there, it's much more. Here's here's one, Jimmy Hart's broken. Bones Club Band. <laughs> hey, don't forget about uh, AC Cowboy Bob Orton. He's still kicking around. Oh, right. Yeah, with his pink hat. That's right. Poor guy gets second rate. I mean, I mean, he gets second billing or third yeah. or fourth, you yeah. know. But so yeah, I never I, I never really could come up with a good one for a Jimmy Hart's stable of wrestlers, but neither could the WWF. That's right. And since they sort of stole the name again later down the road in like 97 and the Hart Foundation went from being a tag team to being a stable. And, you know, and when I came back into wrestling and saw that Davey Boy was with the Hart Foundation, I was like, bah, never. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's something wrong about that. Should have a new I don't name. care if they're brother-in-laws. I don't care. Yeah. The in-laws. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, Honky Tonk is a uh, Teamed up with Jimmy Hart, and it is a great combination. Promo goes on a little long. They kind of yeah. run out of steam towards of, the end. A lot of Jimmy just hugging him and telling him how great I he is. You. I love you. <laughs> You're you the know, greatest. Misogyny. And, and yeah. like, looks like at one point, Honky's looking for the back rub. He turns his back yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he shrugs him off. And yeah, then he's, he's like, like yeah, right yeah, there, rub my, I got pain neck. in my neck. <laughs> Jimmy Hart obliges. <laughs> so this same episode, we're going to go back to the snake pit. And we have a repeat guest. And we remember we did an episode before where a certain Rowdy Roddy Piper came to the snake pit, but he did not like Damien, and he kept he wanted to stay in the doorway, and Jake kept trying to get him to come see Damien, and eventually Piper ended up kicking Jake in the ass and <laughs> spilling him over the table. Mm-hmm. So this time, Jake really has to coerce Roddy Piper out, and finally he appears in the doorway, but he doesn't have the tra- you know the trademark shirt on. He's like looks like he just got out of the shower. He's in his wrestling trunks, his hair's wet, and he's very sort of. I don't know what you want to call it, like serious and quiet, and he's not talking much. And basically, every question that Jake asks him, Piper answers by asking if Adrian Adonis is wrestling next. 
So Jake is sort of intimating that like his last guest, which had been Adrian Adonis, said that Piper was through, his best days were over, and that he was a finished man. And basically, Piper won't really answer any questions, just keeps asking that question, is Adonis wrestling next? And finally, at the end, he leaves the ominous, like, he's done, he's finished, and kind of walks off the set. And Jake looks quite, he's, he plays surprised for on, on behalf of everybody else. You called it, it's not really making use of Piper's gift of the gab, but uh, he's always intense. And uh, he doesn't, you know, what, what's the, the weird thing about it is that he's got to put up with a lot of insults in order to stay focused on his, is Adrian Adonis wrestling next? <laughs> yeah. So not my favorite section, segment. No. And this is around the time where we're getting weekly segments, <laughs> updates from uh, our least favorite Australian. Oh, yeah. Outback Jack. Couldn't really hear what he was saying. The sound levels were uh, way too hot. Uh, the background music, the whatever australian tune they were trying to play and outback jack just uh you know more or less talking about what's everything in the background winging a mess <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that brings us to a they come right back from that to adrian adonis wrestling sd jones well this matchup will occur in our main event if you will uh at later on in our broadcast we're covering the six-man tag with uh jimmy hart's broken bones club band and uh, oh yeah i was also thinking valentine would fits in so well with his heart you yes. know but not as dressing him up as a honky-tonk no, you know no. but valentine would have been a good with his own just because of valentine's day and how hearts are associated with valentine's day he would have fit in nicely with yes. uh, the jimmy hart stable without the mockery of rhythm and blues Anyway, so uh, yeah, Outback Jack made it a, 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 a non-memorable appearance, and then you said, okay, right, so SD Jones and Adrian Adonis are have a, have a singles match, but later they'll be both part of the six-man tag. Yeah, on a different show. Yeah, different show, but on our show, you're going <laughs> to hear about it later. Stay tuned. So I'm always rooting for SD Jones, and uh, as Piper had alluded to in the snake pit, he shows up during the match and just stands there looking scary, you know, and watching stalker kind of uh, psychopath, <laughs> you know, dripping wet from the shower. And Adrian is definitely irritated and keeps looking over, over his shoulder at Piper, who they light up in and, and, and the walkway, and the crowd pops for Piper, of course. Piper makes his way closer and is inching towards the ring. And as I was, you know, if you've watched enough wrestling, sometimes you can make successful calls i was like sd with the roll-up except for <laughs> this is like a schoolboy. but unfortunately sd is not collecting the wins these days maybe stick around for the six-man tag maybe we'll see if he, his day has come rather check out sd and paul roma if you want to see him and get some glory get that's some wins that's right yeah so SD does go for, uh, Adrian's looking at Piper and scared about him. SD attempts the from behind schoolboy roll up pin and gets a two. And I was hoping for it, but no, Adrian kicks out. And then um, within seconds, Piper's charged in the ring and attacks Adrian. Yeah, I'm pretty I sure Adrian gets the sleeper on and then Piper doesn't like, oh. doesn't want the match. He doesn't, right. want to let, he doesn't want to let Adrian win. So he just charges into the ring and yeah. jumps on them. Rescues <laughs> SD. So SD loses by DQ instead of by yeah. submission. And this is one of the larger locker clearing uh, scenes we've ever seen. Like, I think yeah. there's about 28 wrestlers in the ring trying to break them up. And I only recognize about a third of them. Yeah, it's funny because it's everybody from like some pretty big names to like total jobbers to like, I think, like camera guys or something. Yeah. Like, you know? One guy's got a broom. He's like, I got to <laughs> clean up the cafeteria after this. But yeah, really setting up this match is going to be coming up on Saturday's main event, of course, between Piper and Adonis and furthering their feud and, you know, bringing us to. The fisticuffs that had come in prime time, well, not after prime time, on a Saturday night. 
Right. But the S.D. Jones-Adrian Adonis feud will continue to simmer for the rest of this <laughs> episode right. of Lesson, Legendary Wrestling Obsession. <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, and we also have Spivey and Adonis to keep your eye on exactly. in that match. That's, that's the, that was the thing that made me really kind of think. Of, I was like, did they put them in the ring together again? Yeah. Like, after all yeah. that? Like, what are they doing? That's right. <laughs> okay. So Jesse the Body interviews... I, I got... Hints of the Rock and Roll Express, the way that Jesse was trying to pump these guys up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Rick Martell is dear to our hearts because he was our babyface champ. Corey's got more early wrestling memories, but Bockwinkle would have been the champ for most of those yeah, when you yeah. were like baby Corey. That's right. Um, so Martell's real special to us because he, you know, that big, beautiful gold AWA belt and it, it really felt like we were watching one of the, even though it's, you know, you can definitely say there was no difference a guy watching AWA from a guy watching Mid-South, but we had a world champion and they had a regional champion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, otherwise, what's even, the difference? Even if they had a better TV program. Exactly. So it's so funny so many people got to watch wrestling but but we had you know what we thought was a world yeah. champion and the magazines told That's us right. so Bill said so That's <laughs> right Bill Laughter said so so those suckers and you know yeah. got, didn't get a champion except for you know New sorry. sorry Memphis sorry Florida yeah it's <laughs> right California That's right so we got to read about all these cool places and 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 uh, learn about other guys who had belts you know yeah. and it wasn't just Jerry Lawler but other guys who were always carrying some kind of gold somewhere yeah. but they weren't a world champion <laughs> and so that's why we uh, had the special uh, reverence for Rick Martell because, you know, he ended the long reign of Nick Bockwinkle, a fabulous heel. Uh, he ad- he adopted the end <laughs> by beating. <laughs> oh, God, it's so easy to make that mistake because yeah. he didn't. Gosh, oh, man. The dreaded buzzer. Oh, no. The return of the buzzer. No. No. God, no. God, no. No. That's right. Jumbo Saruda. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it felt like it. Like that was yeah. some. It was bizarre. He was so close to being Bachwinkle, and then somebody else did it, and then yeah, strange. And then, and then he was the successor to that guy. So that's right, Nick Bachwinkle. They screwed me in Japan. <laughs> that's right. They jobbed me. <laughs> they jobbed me. <laughs> so he's there with Tom Zink, who uh, is very similar to Martel, and you know what? He's got a little smaller, but you know, one of these kind of perfect male gymnast athlete wrestler bodies you know kind yeah, of like i mean he's he's probably not as big as he gets here but i mean he's like a scaled down luger like he's got a really really good physique he just doesn't like six foot five and you know like brick house shoulders or whatever but i mean like, yeah once he once he roids out completely like he's a big guy and he's muscular like you know right like he gets a lot bigger than martel like <laughs> uh, okay oh uh, yeah that's, okay but i think right now they're very similar size like right you know, chest biceps yeah so these and so Jesse's there, and he's actually surprisingly a big fan of these guys. He, yeah. he admires their physiques and he admires their tans, and he wants a little love in return. That's right. He says, "But check out this bicep!" <laughs> and he pops. And he's like, "You gotta see, I got it too." And they're like, eh, "I don't know." And he's like, "Huh?" But because he, yeah, he's, yeah, already... he's showing off the the you know the, tr- the the tricep or something, and he's like, "Do, do you pop like this?" <laughs> yeah, and but he's not getting much uh, respect back from those guys. Yeah, and... they're like, yeah, "Yeah, I think I could match up to that." Yeah. <laughs> Cause he, and so uh, Jesse gets upset that they, they don't have much compliment. I think he does a second pose and then zinc the same thing. Yeah. yeah, I think I can match that. But then the, the big punchline's the end. <laughs> you, Sorry, he goes, he goes, well, wait a minute. Now, what about my beautiful, pretty face? You can't match up to that. And they just laugh at him. <laughs> exactly. And he gets really upset. He's like, I can't believe it. You got the nerve to laugh at me. That's it. I'm out of here. You know, back to you. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like the acting sometimes is so bad, but I got to give it to them. Like the, the, their timing of the, like the, the comic timing of how they laughed at him was really good. Like it seemed really genuine. Like, it's fun. Yeah. Fun bit. <laughs> so yes, yeah, good to have a chance to get the Can-Am connection on the air because 
I mean, I'm looking for it. I'm like scrambling, trying to find, you know, a match to bring up just to get them in the show. But at this point, the televised stuff is all squash matches. I can't, you know, I can't find, uh, you know, an obvious match. Like, you know, like I was thinking the Saturday's main event, not having a tag team match. Hey, why don't they put the Dream Team versus Can-Am Connection? Like, that would have been, you know, neat to throw on Saturday's main event, but doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, they, they're short-lived, uh, alas, Can-Am Connection. I was excited when they showed up. But I think Jeff's onto something there that, like, the WF seriously... I had the impression as a kid that they were going to be pushed hard, that they were like, even though there was a babyface champion when they came around with the Bulldogs, that they were sort of like, obviously weren't going to be the team to take the title from the Bulldogs, but they would probably be the next team, you know, like that's, that's what it felt like. Well, you got to wonder because Strike Force, you know, kind of did that yeah, in their a, place. A, exactly. They had to replace the can oh. connection with Strike Force, oh, you know. I, I, so you do you zinc, know something zinc, that I well just, just that zinc zinc was uh, zinc found out that Martel was making more money than him, so he basically had a dispute over his money and he left. Mm. So he went back yeah. to the AWA, and then that left uh, Martel without a partner, and that also left the WWF without like the babyface team that they decided they wanted to push. So then they went back to an old AWA tag team, which was Martel and, and Tito. Yeah, that's kind of tough because you know Martel kind of earned. Uh, uh, where he was yes you know it's a tough one like you know if you I don't know I, I you know kind of, you, you sort of feel for Zink and then you're all like but then Martel was you know came in with all this yeah. and, I mean, and he had not to mention his he was a, already a world champion in the WWF he'd been tr- tried and tested and trusted exactly yeah and so he probably deserved you know a, a big and if i remember from the shoot interview with martel he kind of pushed bringing zinc with him like when right. he was negotiating to come back to the wwf he was like hey i got this guy you know mm. like, there's this guy with me here at, at the awa i think we'd make a great tag team we're, we're wrestling together over here a little bit so he kind of pushed to get tom that job but as people say tom zinc wasn't the easiest guy to get along with and didn't do himself any favors backstage so, oh, didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah, so he was kind of an unliked guy. I and see. Was, and maybe that's why when he finally switched over to WCW, things didn't go well there either. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I remember the Zink day. Zink Vader. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the day Tom Zink died, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they kind of re- resurrected him with letting him team with Pillman, and, you know, he had a TV title reign and stuff like that. But, I mean, like, you, you, cut, you cut his legs off as far as him. Like, who knows? They could have pushed him to be a top you know, eight top six top guy, whatever. Right. He could have had him doing world title, you know, challenges sure. and stuff. I'm yeah, not saying yeah. he had to win the belt or anything, but like well, he could have been that, but then they like took that away from him right off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I saw that match at the time and felt bad for Tom Zink, yeah, but I didn't yeah. know that he had been uh, annoying people backstage. Mind you, Vader's no uh, hero either of the locker room. <laughs> no, no, no. People complain that he wouldn't want... equipment yeah. and yeah, all that That's stuff. That's right. So we'll, 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 we will find a way to get back to, uh, I'm sure... Coming through here in eight, now we're in eighty seven. There's going to be some Can Am connection matches that we can find on one of these, you know, Boston or Philly cards or wherever, and we'll we'll bring it to you live on Legendary Wrestling Obsession. Okay, that brings us to another interview segment, and uh, it it plays a big role in another match on our show here. So, <laughs> or at least it did. It's like a callback, let's call it. And so Ken Resnick's with the Wizard, right? Well, man, this is theatrics. This is like deserves to be on the Halloween episode or something because the <laughs> Wizard is quite the character himself. He he's got uh, kind of a robe, and like oh my god, um, roadmap on his forehead. He's got one of these Abdullah the Butcher Dusty Rhodes carved up gig match. I thought Bobby Heenan looked rough, but the Wizard is like a. I don't think there's a more scarred forehead in the business than the Wizard. Ken Resnick asks him about his 
talisman is this tooth, which it's not just a tooth, actually. It, it, you can take the lid off it, and it's basically got a <laughs> container. Yeah, it's, okay. it, he goes, what's in there? What is that? And uh, yeah, because it, it, looking at it a little closer, I mean, you know, people drink out of horns, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. this tooth or horn. Hollowed out or whatever. Yeah, hollowed out. So I'm not sure. In this particular interview, I don't recall Shaka Khan coming up. <laughs> So that did we have we already played that stuff? Okay. So um, yeah, that, I, that was I, I don't remember him saying in this one, but I mean, Ken goes right away and asks what what's in there, and uh, the wizard, you know, he does a lot of like he he goes right away to magic. It's full of powder, dinosaur bone, lion, da, da. but. <laughs> he makes a reference to the Grand Wizard, who was this white guy in a turban with yeah. sunglasses who managed superstar Billy Graham and was a very influential and long-lived heel manager in the WWF. And uh, we just missed him by a year or two, but Corey says he, he at the tail end of Cur- the Wizard's Grand Wizard's career, he would see him on... Coliseum videos. Yeah, because my Coliseum videos were going backwards. You know, they were showing some older stuff, older than what I could watch on TV. So that's how I picked up a few more of the, you know, the couple of those early years of A80s of WWF. So the wizard, what I liked about the Grand Wizard. Yeah. Was that he was Jewish and he called himself the Grand Wizard to mock the KKK. That's right. Yeah. So That's right. I got a kick out of yeah, that. Yeah, Ernie Roth. Yeah. And uh, it was neat. We were looking up who he managed and the list is really impressive. It's super yeah. long. Like he yeah. managed a lot of people. Like World and, champions? Yeah. You know, killer, you know, it's, you know pardon me, um, the, the heart punch guy. The, the Stan t- Stasiak? Stan Stasiak. That's it. Yeah. World champion. He beat, uh, I think he beat Pedro or something like that. So he, you know, he managed some world champions. He managed, as mentioned, super, superstar Billy Graham, but he even managed up to, to people like Greg Valentine and and some names I hadn't heard of but there's probably about 15 names they list for him and I you know 12 of them are like yep 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 all big names from WWF so that Grand Wizard put all this magic and kooky spell ingredients and components into this this horn or this tooth of Shaka Khan we hear later and it's all powdered <laughs> and it's in the mix and it's what controls his two beasts the toughest men in the wrestling and then he calls in first uh, is it Sika I That's think right. yes and Sika looks bewildered and he's got his own version of the Kamala kind of uh, tribesman savage you know he's yeah. the Polynesian guy who eats raw fish and you know uh, just but he's got this crazy look in his eye and then they call on Kamala too now the the good thing is that Sika's quiet Kamala's like "Ah, ah." (laughs) and the grand whenever Kamala does that the grand wizard stops talking the the, the regular wizard sorry thank you the regular wizard (laughs) (laughs) the wizard stops talking because he you know you can't always hear somebody else's wailing off you know so he's waving the horn around he's talking about how it's got control of uh, oh kimchi brings Kamala on Sifa Sika just comes on on his own and uh, like I said it just this doesn't look like sports this looks like you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a local theater play or yeah, something exactly yeah. <laughs> a, a horror movie or I just something. I just love the reason I, I included this little segment is just because of the way the callback to like the earlier match the Kamala Hogan match and yeah. the tooth played such a big role right so when I yeah I was I was skipping past this literally I wasn't paying any attention to it and all of a sudden I saw in fast forward that he was like he was waving around the, the tooth and I was like oh wait a minute yeah <laughs> this is a lot of Kamala wailing <laughs> and the wizard waiting for him to stop wailing before he delivered his next line yeah. that, that you know for me I'd done a lot of improv and comedy and so like I was like tipping my hat to wizard I was like he's you know He's conscious of, yeah. uh, of focus and like if you can be actually heard or whatnot. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, next we're going to head to a house show in the Great White North.
It's December 13th. We're in what I'm going to presume is a snowy Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. It's a big house show. I'm going to say this, similar to how we will rely on Jeff in a future episode to save me with a French match. <laughs> We're going to rely on me to save Jeff because this is shaky cam. Oh, yeah. I cannot take that uh, the the Blair Witch Project yeah. Yeah, yes. handheld stuff, man, that that like literally makes me uh, sweat and uh, nauseous, nauseous yeah. and I can't do it. Yeah, I've seen Mr. Hughes walk out on a couple of movies we were at a couple of times where he's just like halfway through and he's like, I can't take it, I gotta go. <laughs> Not funny, but you know, the reality. So In retrospect, it's funny. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to rely on me to, to take us through this one. It's a really important match. We've got a, it's the it's basically the co-main event, the second last match on the card. It's a tag team title defense. Our beloved British Bulldogs versus Don Morocco and Bob Orton. Oh, the anti-Piper Yeah, brigade. the anti-Piper League, yeah. yeah. This is so crazy to me that this is a matchup. I mean, I've literally, years and years and years ago, I remember thinking about, like, who the Bulldogs fought and who they didn't. And remember, one of the things I, I can literally remember thinking to myself was, I wish those teams would have fought. We never got to see those guys fight. And, you know, here it is. Right. But, it's, just, it's just that I never really considered Morocco and Orton a team. Yeah, they, they kind of threw 86 here up until WrestleMania 3 and probably a little bit afterwards, they kind of wrestled a lot as a team, as a tag team. That was their match at WrestleMania 3 is Morocco and Orton as a tag team against the Can-Am Connection. Oh, wow. It's amazing what you forget. <laughs> yep, yep. So it's neat. It's I think that it's a really great matchup because you got the two power men. You got Davey Boy versus Morocco, and then you got these two technical wizards, these geniuses in Dynamite Kid and Bob Orton. So it's like this, they're really well matched. It's a good look for a tag team match. So we're talking about somebody's, this is not WWF footage. This is literally a fan cam and it's 1986. So we're talking about, you know, one of those big video recorders or maybe a, like it doesn't look quality enough to be like a, you know, an eight millimeter or whatever you want to call it, like the, the kind of camera my dad had. So it's got to be sort of the style where you actually literally put in the smaller tape that's like a VHS tape, but smaller, you know, and then to play it back, you would, there was these cases you would put those smaller tapes in that actually played in a VHS machine. So I'm assuming it's got to be that. It's this crowd footage, and that's all we've got. It's 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 only been on, this file's only been uploaded a couple of years ago, so I don't know how long it's been out there, but it's pretty neat. It's really low quality footage though, but you know, it just, it was, it, it was too important to pass it by. So the audio is picking up a lot. So that's kind of neat. You, you do hear a lot. You know, you hear a lot in the crowd. You're picking up random voices, but you're really getting a good feeling for the atmosphere of how excited people are in the match and how loud it is. It's also, there's a bit of a glare on the ring from the lighting and stuff like that. So at times it's harder and the person's zooming in and out a bit. So like, you know, and they kind of follow what they want to follow. So sometimes you're like, hey, what's going on over there? But, right. <laughs> but it Ooh, works. We're fighting the crowd. Wow. Let's watch that. The other neat thing is the perspective. So if you can imagine, draw a line from like one of the ring posts up into the crowd, they're sort of at an angle to the ring. So you know how some video games would sometimes be like a diamond instead of a square because they would actually like, you right. know, position the ring at an angle sure they give it that you know one eighth of a turn yeah something like that yeah yeah so that's what we got here so we don't hear any music uh but we do hear the crowd pop big as the bulldogs we finally get the camera trained back in on them and they're just about at the ring morocco and orton are in the ring and cowboy bob orton's got his hat on he's got his poncho on morocco's got the shirt on mr fuji's with them I do not see Jimmy Hart anywhere. And I looked at the card. There was a card in Philly that night and like the Hart Foundation, I think maybe Adonis 
And at this point, I think he's already managing Honky Tonk. I think they're all in Philly. So that would make sense that Jimmy's probably in Philly and not in Hamilton. So that's why he's not with Orton, because he's been managing him the last little while. The crowd is completely drowning out, drowning out the ring announcer. But we hear him make his announcements. And after he's done and announces his title match, Davy Boy actually takes the mic. Not a big talker, but he does announce to the crowd that due to Canadian quarantine rules that Matilda will not be able to make it tonight. <laughs> I see. Couldn't get her across the border. <laughs> she uh, is wanted on charges of limb breakage in a foreign country. That's right. For chasing poor Slick up the pole. <laughs> That's right. So it's power versus power to start the match. Davy Boy and Morocco. And Morocco really takes his time to get the crowd going and they're, they're ready for it. They're ready to boo him at every turn. So he's, his little delays cause the crowd to just flare up in anger and they're just ready for it. They do lock up, and Morocco backs Davy Boy up to the ropes, and then does the clean break with a super showy show off, uh, you know, to the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they lock up again, and Don Morocco takes a headlock, but Davy Boy immediately pries his hands off and forces them up into the air. So now they're in that overhead wrist lock. They're in a you know battle of power between yeah. the two men, and Davy Boy's starting to get the better of him. So Morocco grabs a little chunk of Davy Boy's hair. And throws him off, not to the ground, but just throws him backwards. And Davy Boy immediately complains to the ref about the hair pull. And that's where Morocco starts flexing and showing it was all power. <laughs> it's all clean. I like it. Yep. They lock up for a third time with Davy Boy grabbing the headlock and keeping Morocco just out of reach of Ace. So it's really funny. He's like, he's reaching for that tag and he can't quite get it. It's almost like he's teasing him. You know, he's just holding him there, holding him there. Morocco does push him off. And there's a drop down and Davy Boy goes over him. And it's kind of funny. Bob Morton decides to come in the ring, but Davy Boy just runs into him. Like Bob's like one leg in, one leg out. And he's eating a forearm from Davy Boy. <laughs> so it doesn't go well for Bob Morton with his right. attempts. And Morocco's like, sees his opening. So he's in the heel corner. He's got his back to him. So Morocco charges in and Davy Boy catches him with a scoop slam. And Orton gets up in time for the scoop slam. Wow. Old <laughs> dog's on fire. Morocco gets up and staggers into Davy Boy for another scoop slam. And then Orton charges in like, oh, I'm going to get you. But Davy Boy's ready for him. So he's really funny. It's like he runs into an invisible wall. He just like falls down backwards, like begging off, like hands up, like, no, no, no. And rolls out of the ring. So the, yeah, the crowd's loving it. Like the bulldogs are really hot. Or I should say Davy Boy's really hot because that's all we've seen so far. After that second slam, just off camera, we see Morocco reacting to what we assume is a Dynamite Kid headbutt because it doesn't quite catch it. And it's really funny. Morocco does this amazing drunk backward stagger as Davy Boy watches him like go all the way from one corner to all the way across the ring. And then that scuba dive fall through the ropes like bum first, you know, like right, yeah. all the way to the outside. And Orton's there to kind of fall down with him to the ground. And the two heels disappear behind the ring. You can't even see them. Nice. <laughs> so they tag Dynamite in and he just has to wait a long time because it takes them forever to get back in and Morocco is just awesome like the, the selling they're doing is, is amazing for starters but it's just really funny Morocco gets in the ring and immediately calls the ref over to check his head for a cut because he thinks the dynamite cut him with his forehead and Dr. Bob <laughs> he comes over and he's checking in the hair he's he's looking at it and it's just it's really good they're just really like delaying things and getting people really pissed off it's just really funny. So finally, they lock up and Dynamite grabs a headlock. Morocco pushes off Dynamite Kid, who explodes off the ropes with a shoulder tackle, running over the much larger opponent. It's always impressive when Dynamite would put those guys down with his shoulder, considering how small he is compared to most of these guys. So Morocco's just furious. I just wish we could see his facial expressions, though, because the camera foot, you know, the footage is, but you can sell, you can tell he's really, like, doing a great job with it. Another lockup leads to a Morocco headlock and a quick push off by Dynamite Kid and a drop down. Morocco goes over the top and decides that it's a good time to 
give Davy Boy, he stops in front of Davy Boy and gives him the old arm gesture, F you. <laughs> and he starts chirping with him. But Dynamite's just standing behind him the whole time. So Morocco finally turns around. I don't know where Morocco thought Dynamite went. He gives Morocco a big scoop slam. It looks really good because Morocco's so huge compared to Dynamite. And from that body slam, the boys show their love for the Who and the Pinball Wizard. It's time to just, like, beat up Morocco between the two of them. Like, just punch, headbutt, punch, headbutt. <laughs> He's going back and forth. Nice. It's not going well for Morocco at all. They tag in Davy Boy, and they give him the double Irish whip. And then the Brits, they lock arms and do their charging shoulder tackle. And Morocco takes this by spilling backwards Adrian, Adrian Adonis style, like, over the top rope to the outside. So the Bulldogs are just like, they're on fire. It's not quite the uh, main event from uh, March of uh, 85 or anything, but it's, uh, or 86, but it's, uh, it's pretty damn good. So Morocco gets in the ring and falls into his corner, just completely beaten up and tags in the former bodyguard. So Ace comes in with Davy Boy and he tries to grab a wrist lock, but that doesn't work. It's reversed immediately and wound up again. So Orton grabs a handful of hair and attempts a turnbuckle smash. But the boot of Davy Boy gets stuck out to stop that momentum, and the cowboy eats the padded steel instead. At this point, the footage starts to roll and to get distorted, kind of like inside Bob's head right now, because he's getting his head smashed on the turnbuckle. So Davy Boy takes him over to his own corner and smashes him over there again, and Bob Orton's doing his best Roddy Piper, rubber leg street, you know, just ready to go down. And they tag in Dynamite Kid. So finally, here we go. We get the two technicians are in. You know, it's Dynamite Kid versus Battling Bob. Boxing. <laughs> Boxing meddling Bob. Best friend, Bob Orton. <laughs> so Dynamite Kid grabs a headlock, and there's a push-off, but no, 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 he will not let go. So he drives Orton down to his knees, because, like, you know, Dynamite just never let go of his head, you know, just held onto it tight. So he's squeezing him hard. Bob does manage another push-off and does a drop-down, and we appear to get a botch, and Dynamite Kid essentially runs into Morocco on the apron, and for lack of a better term, they they hug. <laughs> because <laughs> something went wrong so Morocco decides to just hold his arms and Orton comes running in with the, the big knee to the back but Dynamite slides out of the way so Orton drills Morocco and knocks him off the apron oh no <laughs> and the camera misses it but the next part is likely a punch or a headbutt by Dynamite Kid and he reapplies the headlock to Orton just really squeezing at this point, some kid in the crowd can be overheard uh, talking to his friends about how the Bulldogs have really met their match. <laughs> like, and the, the heels haven't got like one lick in. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so Dynamite Court Kid has Orton on his knees in the middle of the ring, and Morocco decides to come in, but the ref immediately cuts him off. And this is where we get the fairly rare, but the good guy cheating, the cheaty switch. <laughs> so Davey Boy comes in to take over the headlock, and then by the time, and Morocco's complaining bitterly, so by the time... The ref turns around. Mr. Fuji's there pointing with his cane at the illegal man, Davy Boy, in the ring. And, of course, Davy Boy's like, no, 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 we tagged. He's, you know, it's all fine. It's all good. Right. So Orton gets up to his, gets back up to his feet and turns Davy Boy towards his corner and starts driving him into the corner, getting closer and closer and closer. And just as he's about to tag, Dynamite Kid comes in the ring to distract the ref. And there's a tag. So Davy Boy, with Orton still in a headlock, kind of runs across the ring, still holding on to Orton. And the legal man, Morocco, chases them, but the ref inter- intercepts them. So it's like the bad guy, like che- like the, the hot tag, you know, like the they cheese the hot tag of the villains. Like I, I've seen the double switch. I've seen the switch, like the illegal behind the ref switch. Right, that's common. Yeah, but the act, the, the hot tag tease. I, I don't, I can't remember seeing a good guy hot tag tease for like the bad guys. <laughs> I thought it never really popped me. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> 
reversal of the usual playbook. That's right. So they're, they're building the hot tag for the heels. <laughs> That's right. We're waiting. We're waiting for something. They haven't had much. That's so right. They need, they need something. We got a face turn coming for who's in there? <laughs> Morocco's trying to get in. Uh, Orton's Orton's in there. And Morocco's trying to. Yeah. Or, Morocco tagged, but he they didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Morocco was a very good face uh, in his day. Ah, uh, yes. Because <laughs> when he started out, he was like the young hotshot right, rookie. Yeah, yeah. He, he came like in so many face. Of them, right? yeah. yeah, like so many of them. I guess some people start heel, but he was. Uh, I, I saw footage. Maybe um, could have been Morocco versus the Outlaws, Texas Outlaws. Oh, okay, wow, yeah, yeah, and uh, Morocco completely different body shape and yeah. mustache, and <laughs> he was. You know, you wouldn't. You had to look twice to be like, oh wow, that's. You know, it's almost like. He looks more like Cheech than he does <laughs> the Magnificent Morocco. He's got way less weight, and he's got that kind of mustache. Yeah. Look, you know, like it could be like a Jim Brunzel type of body. Right, right, you know. yeah. Maybe, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So as all part of this exchange of getting Morocco out, the Bulldogs change again illegally. <laughs> so Dynamite switches back in. It's the total role reversal. Takes this over the like, headlock. <laughs> like they've gone to Quebec or something. That's right, yeah. To... The Bulldogs with their heel turn in Quebec. That's right. <laughs> So from this headlock position, Orton does manage to roll Dynamite Kid over onto his back for a one count. But Dynamite Kid, of course, maintains control, kicks out, he's back on top. Finally, Orton forces Dynamite Kid into his corner and tags Morocco, and they begin to go to work. So the heels start putting the punches and the kicks to him, but that doesn't last long. Dynamite starts firing back, kicks, punches, headbutts, and they just staggers both guys. Orton falls out of the ring, he's forming Morocco, he's totally got him staggered. It's really quite funny. There's that big chop, and that finally knocks over this like tree that was ready to go down in Morocco. He's ready, you know, he's ready for the wood chipper. He's done. He's had enough. Morocco is sent face first into David Way's boot, and they tag the the Bulldogs make a tag as Morocco staggers with like this great sour face that you can kind of make out on the footage, but you can see it. Davy takes an arm lock on Morocco, and he's reaching to the sky as if he's trying to tag God. He's just like reaching over and over again. It's really good. Morocco's really, really making me laugh. Kind of like, you know, how his interview, you know, a couple of shows ago, like really made us laugh. And now we're realizing like his in-ring shtick is better than I, you know, remember. Yeah. His face seeming interview. He was all smiles and yeah, charisma. That's right. yeah. And he was appealing. He was very charismatic. Yeah, that's right. So around this time, the crowd noise picks up someone yelling and it's totally out of context, but take my money. <laughs> Okay. It's like exactly. Give us the money. (laughs) (laughs) The road runners. (laughs) The road runners. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Crockett Cup. Um, Anyways. (laughs) Yeah, that's on Patreon, isn't it? That's right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's an eye rake which allows a tag, but Orton charges into a hip toss and then two arm drags in a row. And Davy Boy holds onto that arm. And after the second one, he, you know, he keeps him in that position. So he tags in Dynamite Kid, hands him the arm of Ace, and it's totally exposed. So Dynamite just drives in this vicious knee. And he's just like, ooh, poor Bob. Gonna have to, you're going to have to put the cast back on. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Orton forces Dynamite Kid to the ropes for a push-off, and Dynamite floors him with a shoulder tackle. Dynamite Kid runs the opposite angle of the ropes, and Orton drops down. The next moment will affect the rest of my wrestling fandom. Dynamite awkwardly bounces off the ropes, goes over Bob, and catches Morocco's knee to the back. Totally standard wrestling spot in tag team matches, but he collapses to the ground in a very stiff way that looks very different than a wrestling bump. Uh-oh. Yeah. Orton comes over and chokes him to the, on the ground. The ref breaks that up, and Orton very gingerly lays some boots in. As the ref backs him off, Morocco drops down to the floor, and he chokes Dynamite Kid. And Fuji's getting in there with his cane, so they're double choking him. And Dynamite is just... It, clearly in a lot of pro- like a lot of there's a big there's something really wrong here 
So he's holding onto the ropes and he's trying to inch his way around from one corner to the next to get to Davy Boy's side of the ring. And all Orton can do is try to like let him get there because Dynamite cannot get up. Yeah, it's not a good oh look. Oh my God. So he gives him one more little light stomp and doesn't do anything to stop him from re- reaching over and tagging Davy Boy. So he comes in, but the crowd doesn't know. You know, the crowd doesn't know what's going on. They have no idea. You know, this is a wrestling spot, right? He's just, he took a knee to the back and some kicks, so he's down. You know, that's just what happens. So when, Di- when Davey Boy comes in, there's a big pop. He comes in with like a leaping headbutt. And you just see like the best way I can describe it is the, out of the corner of your eye in the camera, just like the corpse of Dynamite Kid like laying underneath the bottom rope, just not moving and just totally out. So there's a whip and a big clothesline by Davey Boy and a slam and a pin attempt. Orton kicks out at two, but Morocco's there to stomp on Davey Boy, you know, for good measure anyways, which turns the tide. And Orton lands a stomp and gets Davey Boy into a suplex position. And he lifts him, but then instead of falling over with him, he drops him stomach first over the top rope. So Davey Boy's legs are like hanging outside the ring. And Orton distracts the ref while Morocco is like assaulting Davey Boy. And they're both standing on the apron at this point and Morocco's beating on him. He's choking Davey Boy from the floor. He drops down and the ref chases him off and Orton dives in to continue that choke. And we now can see off camera that some people are attending to Dynamite Kids. He can barely make it out, but there's a couple of people over on the side of the, you know, on the floor talking to Dynamite. I'm not sure what's going on. And he just hasn't moved from that to that last position. So Morocco, Morocco is tagged in and punches the held open Davy Boy. And Morocco starts to land his like Fuji-like strike. So he starts giving his sort of one-handed little like knife edge kind of stuff. And eventually this leads to a turnbuckle smash, more strikes. And again, just the camera, the person keeps looking back. It's like they're curious, you know, like they're kind of looking and you can see Dynamite's like he's gripping the top rope. And I don't know if it's like that he's trying to get up or if that he's just in so much pain that he's just like squeezing something to like try to get through this. There's a snap mare by Morocco and that leads to a nerve hold on Davy Boy's neck. At this point, Orton hops down off the apron and sneaks around the ring to, to Dynamite's side. And the camera totally falls him and just completely ignores the in-ring action. And Orton goes over and puts Dynamite in a headlock. And starts, like, pounding on his head. <laughs> yes. And you have to wonder and think for a minute about the communication in, in the ring, right? Yeah. Like, when that first, the first problem happened, Orton immediately laid on him and choked him. Well, I can imagine in that moment, in that part of the match, Orton's probably talking to him. They're probably, you know, he's probably right. asking him what's wrong. Who knows what Dynamite might have said to those guys, but it's interesting that they continue to include him in, their, in the match, given what's going on. So Orton's able to sneak back around the opposite side of the ring, back to his side without the ref noticing. Get back up on the apron. Orton is tagged in and drops an elbow to a prone Davy Boy. Orton applies that same nerve hold on Davy Boy. So as he rises, Davy Boy elbows out and whips Orton for a sleeper. But Morocco is quick to break that up. He comes in and clubs Davy Boy. And as the ref is getting Morocco out, Fuji jumps up on the apron. So it's his turn to, you know, get involved here. And so Don's back in behind the ref's back and the cane gets thrown in over the ref's shoulder a la Jimmy Hart and Terry Funk. Just, you know, like as if the ref wouldn't notice that the guy he's talking to goes like, you know, launches a cane over, you know, his cane over his shoulder. So uh, they hold him open for the double team, the legal maneuver here, but it backfires. But Davy Boy doesn't really move too much. So Morocco basically just has to miss Davy Boy and it, it hit Cowboy Bob Orton in the head with the cane and he drops it. Oh no. And Davy Boy picks up the cane just in time for the ref to turn around and see him hitting Morocco in the stomach with the cane and, and then throwing the cane out of the ring. And the ref has to pretend like he didn't see it because he wasn't supposed to. Oops. And Davey Wade drops on Orton for the one, two, and the three count. Hey. And a successful title defense, but at a cost. Yeah. At a no big kidding. cost. Oh, my God. So, and we're not quite over here. So, what is, there's a few things. 
So Davy Boy drops to the outside to talk to Dynamite. They're figuring out what's going on. The ref's stopping Morocco because he's trying to come over and, and get at them. But eventually the heels, they go outside the ring, one on either side, from either side of the ring, and they kind of like, they got Davy Boy surrounded. And they, they're creeping up on him, and Davy Boy's looking left, he's looking right, he's looking left, he's looking right. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. So Orton grabs one of the tag belts. <laughs> he steals it. You know, possession's nine-tenths of the law, right? So right. <laughs> they're the tag champs. <laughs> yeah. He slides back into the ring, and he goes over and he does a belt shot on Dynamite's head. He drops the belt and cracks Dynamite with the belt. So Davy Boy scampers back in the ring to chase him off. And this man, Morocco, picks up one of those non-folding chairs, like the plastic ones with the metal legs. And he wails on Dynamite's back. Dynamite's laying on his side on the, and he's wailing on his back. And it doesn't look like he's letting, it's not like the Bob Orton kicks, you know, before where you could tell he was like totally taking it easy. He's nailing him in the back. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? There has to be some acknowledgement here that there's something really wrong. Like, why are you? So that's, uh, so they finally get the uh, bad guys out of there and the crowd's just going insane at this point, right? Like they're just really upset and they're able to get them chased off. So they leave, kind of holding up their hands like they've won, even though they haven't. Billy Red Lions is the ring announcer. I wasn't able to really place that at the beginning of the match because he kind of he got drowned out. But this time I can actually hear his voice, and he actually calls for the uh, the stretcher over the over the mic, over the house mic, and they they call the stretcher out. And that is other other than the fact that they're playing instead of the Bulldogs music, they're playing the American Military March song or whatever. It's like I don't know. What's going on in Hamilton? Why that was the Bulldogs music? But that's the end of it. It's really a scary thing. And looking back, you know, I'd, I'd heard about this match. And I know it for a long time it was talked about that you couldn't see it because it was never on TV or released anywhere. But, you know, here we are with this sort of kind of like when you found the security cam shaky footage of Flair versus Hogan from New York, you know, that wasn't properly released. But, you know, there it is. Here's this match that leads to the major injury that really derails the Bulldogs. And, wow. And it's not a one-night thing, right? Like, this isn't, like, he didn't get hurt tonight. Like, Don Morocco's knee or whatever happened, isn't? it wasn't one thing. It was just the straw that, you know, the, <laughs> the final nail in the coffin kind of thing. So did this lead to time off and how long? Well, he, he has to come back. I don't have the dates in front of me. They ha- He's off for the rest of the month and into January. As is famously known, uh, there's a title defense coming up where Davy Boy has to carry him to the ring. Like Dynamite can't walk. Right, yeah. So Davy Boy, I... Boy piggybacks him to the ring. Right, isn't that the, the, the dropping the belts? Yeah, 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 which we'll cover at the next show so we right. won't go too, too into it and people know it. It's super famous. One thing you have to realize is that a lot of the stuff They've already filmed a bunch of stuff, so that so you don't notice it too much as a fan because there's like there's bulldog matches that haven't aired yet. But the in the house show circuit, all of a sudden, Davy Boy's having to defend the title with a random assortment of tag team partners. And I'll give you one good example: the next night they are in Milwaukee, and there's a tag team title match, cage match. It's the Dream Team trying to get revenge against Davy Boy Smith and the Crusher. Nice, I love it. <laughs> With the dollies, there, yeah. There's the it's, polkas. It's poker night in Milwaukee because the Cake bulldog, the, beer. And, the bulldog, and the crusher won that match. And there's no footage of it. I, w- I would have loved to have. Uh, we would have been covering that if if that yeah. was a thing. <laughs> he gave great interviews too. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if if it was was it Valentine, Beefcake, or all three of them with Johnny Valiant getting the bulldog punch. <laughs> Who got <Right>. it? <laughs> so yeah, that's so the injury of. Dynamite Kid isn't, like I said, this, this is a, a career of injuries that have like built up over time. And this is sort of the coming, the check is due. 
and you know it's time for him to cash out his body all those flying headbutts off the top rope and a lot of the other amazing things he did but I remember what uh, listening to a show that was detailing things from Bret Hart's one of I guess his first autobiography and he talked about Dynamite's kids injuries and one of the things that he talked about what doesn't get talked about a lot is that the beginning of the problems for Dynamite's back dates way back even before they joined the WWF so before they joined the WWF they were actually in a tour of Japan and Davy Boy was wrestling Dynamite like they were already a team at that point but for whatever reason the bookers made them wrestle each other and Dynamite would do this move back then to other people and what he would do is he would set you up for a suplex where you're both inside the ring and then he would suplex you out of the ring you know, like over the top rope and basically let go of you you know and let you fall over the top rope to the outside so for whatever reason in this match they reverse it Davy Boy does that to Dynamite and Dynamite goes over the rope to the outside but somehow comes down on the, that corner edge of the of the apron and that's the the first that was the first major injury to his back that down the road couple more years of uh, bumps and Man. wear and tear yeah and the steroids and the you know, the overlifting you know that was one thing with Dynamite he put so much muscle on that tiny frame that your body can't even handle it right you right. know some of the dangers of of steroids and stuff so so yeah this is that this is that night December 13th 1986 and in many ways the bulldogs are never the same again um, I mean, obviously, Dynamite was showing some wear and tear even earlier in the year, some of the problems he had after WrestleMania 2, and then we saw it in the fall, but this is a big one. And I just wonder what the plans actually were. Obviously, the Bulldogs were going to lose the belt at some point, but I don't think they necessarily were going to lose them when they were. The plan with the Hart Foundation wasn't even in place. That was like a... That was kind of a backup, you know, emergency plan. So I wonder, you know, would they have lost the belts at WrestleMania three? Would they have still, you know, would they or would they held them past then? Who knows, right? Like we we can speculate because they were a really popular team, and I think the WF really liked having them as the champs. But once Dynamite couldn't work, then it was just time to time to get the belts off them. I was always so certain they were going to regain the belts. Yeah, it just seemed like natural that they they were going to put the belts back on them. It really was a shame. You know that the best of the bulldogs is behind us. Yeah, uh, and it's frustrating when you when you look into the you know the later '90s and going forward when the belts just became props and meant nothing and we're just pinballing all over the place. Like there's in 12 months there's like 24 champions or something. You know what I mean? Like there was just like there just every couple of weeks somebody there's a title change. So people are like oh we're the nine time tag team champions. Well it doesn't mean anything. Like this one right. bulldogs run means way more than you know the Dudley boys 13 titles or what, whatever the hell it is. I'm making that number up, but. Yeah. People get my point. Yeah. I don't mean to piss on the Dudley boys, but I mean, like, they wrestled at a time that tag team wrestling didn't mean anything. And people can point and say, oh, they had titles in all these different places. But, like, who were they wrestling against? They weren't great tag teams. There was, you know, there's two or three t- good tag teams at that time. Whereas we talked about 86, like, look at the Crockett Cup episode and how many tag teams we talked about. And it's yeah. just, it's not the same. There was so much more emphasis put on it at this time period, this 86, 88, 87, 85, back into the 70s. Yeah, well, we lament the fact that uh, the Bulldogs weren't able to make as significant an, a mark on another league the way that the Road Warriors went to every league and had, yeah, made, right. had an impact. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, and uh, how I wish that Jake could have had an impact and in the WCW, but Bill Watts had taken over. And That's right. And that, you know, it's just. Yeah, it would have been so neat for like, let's say 89, the Bulldogs leave the WWF, but somewhat healthy. And then like they show up in the NWA, you know, like Crockett. Or something, you know, I guess it'd be WCW at that point, but you get my point. Like, you know, it'd be neat to see, again, well, them wrestling all these different tag teams. Now that match of the Rock and Roll Express versus the Bulldogs. Now who would have been promoting that card? That I believe was through the AWA. And, wow. Yeah, and I think the match takes place in Japan though, so I don't know. What? Like, yeah, 
have to look at it again. But I thought it looks like a North American like could a be, small could be. setting. Though. It definitely was AWA. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, but I don't think either team was there very long. It was sort of one of these things where they managed to pull off. It was like a booking, you know, like they they just kind of like got them there for a bit. I think eighty nine. So yeah. so long after the cooperation of like the original Great American. That's Bash. right. Yes. Yeah, and the and the Super Clash cards and yeah. all that stuff. The Pro Wrestling USA, you know, the the dream of stopping McMahon and didn't quite work out. And mm-hmm. but yeah, so here it is. It's you know, it's a key moment. There's the Bulldogs aren't done. They've got some big matches. They have big moments. We'll have more to enjoy of theirs. But in many ways, this is kind of it. This is this is the end of basically that glory period of like '84 or whenever they would have started tagging together in Stampede to you know up until this point. And again, they're going to come back and, you know, they're going to be back in 87. It's not going to be that long again before they're wrestling again, but there's a noticeable difference in what they can do. And the team becomes more and more reliant on Davey Boy to, you know, carry the load. Yeah. I don't think there was ever as satisfying a tag team win as the Bulldogs over the dream team at WrestleMania two for the belts. Yeah. Because I got to, I guess, well, I don't guess. I just think about how did I experience other title changes and none of them compare. I, I went and watched WrestleMania 2 on a big screen in at the Winnipeg Arena, you know, after watching their, now I realize how they got my attention by coming yeah. in and kicking ass. Yeah, that's right. And then seeing them win the belt, finally, off the Dream Team. And, is and really so standing out from the other matches on the card. You know, like it was yeah. just such a different style. Like, you know, there's 12 matches, let's say, on the card, including the Battle Royal. And it's just, yeah, there was one match that looks very different than the rest of them. And it's that match. Yeah, right. So it's a shame to see them go, despite, you know, we, we've learned to our distress that uh, some of their backstage behavior yeah. was bullshit, but they did capture our imagination, especially at this time in the 86. And uh, sorry to, you know, sad to see it come to an end like that. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's no end of podcasts that'll, you know, pile on dynamite and spend hours and hours talking about all his deficiencies and what a horrible person he was and but our show's been focusing on the idea of like, what did we watch as kids and how did we see it? The way they were presented to us, Dynamite was, you know, the best of the best. He was a really good guy, you know, like we didn't know any of these things. And and so for me to sort of sit here and, and make the main focus about that he was a jerk and a bully, I mean, sure, that's that's that can be talked about, but I'll, I'll leave that for other people. I'll stick with my good memories of the Bulldogs. An interesting thing about that house show cage match with Crusher is that that's the same night, actually, that they're filming Saturday's main event over in Hartford. So in Milwaukee, it's Davy Boy and the Crusher, but in Hartford, it's Saturday's main event. January's okay. So, but it, it gets filmed on December 14th. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Wow. So he's two weeks ahead or, you know, three weeks ahead, four weeks ahead, as always, you know, doing that kind of stuff. So we're going to go to a December 17th real quickly. We just want to touch on this, just kind of furthering the Danny Davis storyline. There's a match between Jake the Snake Roberts and Dick Slater. And we'd kind of thought about was the Saturday's main event match the end of Dick Slater, but there is a few more appearances still coming, realizing that that was recorded before it actually aired as well. So how much further he goes, we don't know, but he wasn't, uh, it's not like Saturday's main event was his last appearance. There's a, there's more to be had. So this match, really what happens is Slater actually surprisingly kind of has a bit of the edge. And I think Jake's basically got a hurt leg. He's selling an injury to his leg, or at least damage to his leg. And what eventually happens is that Danny Davis is interfering so much on Jake's behalf that Dick Slater just finally loses his cool. He throws Danny Davis down. And he gets disqualified for putting his hands on an official. But 
you know, it's kind of what the, what the crowd wants at this point because they built up a lot of heat with Danny Davis and all of his shenanigans. Mm, I like it. Take that, Danny. That's right. So uh, on Wrestling Challenge on the 20th, we get an interview segment and then it's followed by a match. We're not going to cover it too close, but it's just kind of cute. So it's uh, it's Junkyard Dog meets Matilda. <laughs> so he's g- he's getting up all close and giving her like the sort of the dog, dog nuzzling on the, you know his head on hers. And he's kind of giving her the dog licks on her nose and stuff like that. And talking about, uh, you like old bones, I like old bones. And just trying to, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cute. But what we end up with after that is a, another one of these six-man tag matches. I tell you, they're everywhere. So it's the British Bulldogs and Junkyard Dog. So obviously this was filmed before the December 13th incident that we recently covered. Uh, and they're going to be taking on the Dream Team and Moondog Spot. <laughs> All kinds of dogs. Yeah, lots of dogs in this match. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, Moondog's going to join the other guys and the Dream Team will be on their right. own. That's right. Four on two. So as expected, we get some pretty good action between Valentine and Beefcake and Davy Boy and Dynamite. Uh, but once Spot gets in there, now, if they were, if it had been, you know, if it had been, if the heels and baby faces had been reversed, then Dogs Spot could join Bulldogs and Junkyard, and they call themselves the Dog Pound. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> the Dog Pound. <laughs> so, I mean, just to skip to the end, basically. Once Moondog gets in there, you know, he, he doesn't last long. <laughs> and uh, they tag in JYD after the Bulldogs do some moves to him. That's and, a blonde uh, one, right? Yeah, that's right. The newest the newest of the Yeah, the one who never won anything. Yeah, exactly. No gold for him. <laughs> and uh, Junkyard Dog puts his famous thump power slam on the other dog and gets the pin. And that's the uh, that's the end of that match. But it's just again like as kids, man, this stuff was juicy. Like you get this kind of match on your weekly show, like there was you're, you're not, you know, you're not going to the washroom. You're not going to get a sandwich. You're, you're not leaving that TV yeah. until you see that match. JYD and the Bulldogs, for sure. Yeah, pretty good. So, Bulldog, Bulldog Bob Brown. Who have other dogs? God, there's Who a lot of dogs. There? There's a lot of dogs. Mad Dog, Buzz Sawyer. Yeah, that's another one for sure. Yeah. Um, we'll have to come back to that, but I'm yeah. sure there's, there's a lot of dog gimmicks. <laughs> dog face Kremlin. There you go, yeah. Stretching it It's now. stretching it, but it's pretty good. He was bringing a dog out to the ring on a leash at some yeah, point in 89, that, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, and he had the those crazy shoulder pad, you know, ornaments on his, they were bulldogs. Yeah. Bulldogs <laughs> are a big thing for Rick Steiner. That's right. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he brought, he brought a Matilda-type dog out, didn't that's he? That's right, he did, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm sure if we, especially if we start getting into like world-class or mid-south or somebody, we'll find somebody else that's got, uh, <laughs> that's got right. some dogs. So that same weekend on our Superstars, so this would have been on our TV, there's a Piper's Pit, and he's bringing out the Hart Foundation, the number one contenders for the tag team titles, as he calls them. And Piper comes out from his, you know, that new entrance, that that entrance at the back of the set, and he's got a big, what looks like a club, but it's actually, it's a bone. <laughs> so, and he's hammering it on the table. So he invites the Hart Foundation to come out, and they come out, but you can see Jimmy Hart. He's like peeking his head out, and he doesn't want to come out because we're not that far removed from the whole like uh, Piper beating up, beating apart, and tying him up in a chair and all that yeah. stuff, right? You so, promise, you promise. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So he won't come out. And so Piper's inviting him out, and Brett and Jim are very confident. Their arms crossed, standing there like bodyguards. So Jimmy comes and hides behind them. Piper's hitting the bone against the table and says, the British Bulldogs gave him this. Matilda gave him this bone. He's got a little stuffed bulldog on the table. So at one point he picks that up and kind of reaches between Brett and Jim and kind of scares Jimmy with this little bulldog. And there, you know, they're they're being pissy with each other pretty much. So 
He says he has one more present for them from Matilda. So he goes, Piper steps off stage again and comes back out with what looks like a plastic fire hydrant, like a red fire hydrant, right? And he plops it up on the table and he says, if you get nervous in your match with the Bulldogs, you can pee on this or you can urinate on this. So he walks away. So Anvil's, you know, not going to stand for this insult. So he, he picks up the fire hydrant and re- rears back to smash Piper with it, but it, it's full of water and the top comes off and he soaks Bret Hart. He like covers him in water <laughs> and the, the music comes in and they, they cut away and it's great because Bret Hart's like, my glasses, my glasses, because the sunglasses is all like, you know, that's really all Bret Hart had as a character back then was you know, he is the guy that wore sunglasses. Right. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Clever. Outsmarted the villains. That's right. Good little gag. <laughs> So we'll wrap up that weekend or that week of syndicated TV back on primetime wrestling. There's Jesse Ventura is, you know, still on the hunt. So this time he's interviewing Andre of all people, but it's a pretty short interview. Jesse tries his shtick with what happened, what was said, and Andre doesn't want to talk about it. And Jesse agrees that it's okay that they don't talk about it. And they got to end the segment really quickly. He's like, well, if you don't want to talk about it, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> of course, he starts the interview with the, you know, we haven't always gotten along. We haven't seen eye to eye. <laughs> like what he said to him before WrestleMania 2 with Bill Freilich interview, where he's like, <laughs> we don't always get along, but, you know, throw that guy in the, the fourth row. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That brings us to the next week. We're going back to Wrestling Challenge for a few things. And there's going to be, surprise, surprise, another big six-man tag. Recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. So Jimmy Hart's got a nice black suit on with white musical notes. Uh, he isn't in his athletic gear when he knows he's going <laughs> to have to step into the ring. And he's carrying his diffuser instead of the megaphone. Either way, he's armed. He's looking good, and he's armed. <laughs> so it's Jimmy Hart's Broken Bones Club Band. Um, <laughs> as the announcers make note of the fact that uh, Adrian has joined them, and, and earlier Heenan stumbles when he tries to sort of give them a collective name. He hasn't yeah, got one. That's right. So I got one. Uh, actually, well, wait, I'm sorry. Uh Jimmy Hart will do an inset later. Okay, well, he'll yeah. he'll have something to say, yeah. but we'll get there in a minute. It's great to see SD Jones come into the ring with the U.S. Express, who are really big fan favorites. Dan Spivey has replaced Barry Windham, and I took it kind of hard at the time, but in retrospect, I see Dan Spivey certainly worthy of uh, of a you know babyface run and of, of this kind of stature. Barry Windham still, of course, has a special place in our heart, which I hope we'll get to cover somehow on our show. I know we'll find a way because he is a special wrestler, Barry Windham, and when he was at his peak, he was as good as anybody. I, I feel Barry, but. Uh, uh, Dan Spivey never quite got to that level of uh, awesomeness that I that I saw in Barry Windham, but I do have to give him more credit than I gave him at the time. At the time, I felt he was a replacement, and I had lost my enthusiasm for the U.S. Express. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Dan Spivey. No, no. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's pretty imposing. Yeah, yeah uh, we'll be seeing Barry Windham at the uh, Super Towns on the Superstation. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, Barry Windham as U.S. champion, like it's just his finest hour. So the best is yet to come for Barry Windham, but not here on the as part of the U.S. Express teaming with S.D. Jones, who gets to make his hero's entrance in his colorful jacket. <laughs> jacket, good. I like to see him catch a break. When we finally, uh, you know, go through all the sort of checking for foreign objects, the pat down and the rules and all that stuff, the bell rings with Bret Hart and Mike Rotundo starting the action. You get enough spots in the first ninety seconds of this match to last a normal AWA yeah, I, I card. Mean, I remember it was. 
pretty exciting, yeah. Woo! It just goes crazy. So I'll start with what Redundo does. Uh, the bell rings, and he quickly arm drags Brett super quickly, but then Jim runs into the ring during the second <laughs> arm drag so that Redundo, without missing a beat, can deliver a third arm drag in yeah. time. And then, of course, Adrian's got to get in there, and the timing's perfect. A fourth arm dragged on Adrian. But meanwhile, other guys are getting to the action. So yeah. Dan Spivey climbs into the ring. He does body slams because arm drags, when there's right. more people in the ring, it's a tougher yeah. you need you need room for arm drags more room yeah Dan Spivey body slams Brett and then he body slams Jim all the timing is so great Rotundo body slams Adrian because he's climbed into the ring and then oh here we go it's Dan Spivey versus Adrian Adonis they square off (laughs) after all that talk we've heard about uh, a severe beating in the locker room and Jesse Ventura calling out Spivey on the air you know in secret code yeah (laughs) that nobody knew what he was talking about except for like a very small fraction of of, uh, insiders yeah so it's kind of wild to see these guys square off. So Dan Spivey, without incidents, he body slams Adrian. And then he clenches his fists a lot like Hogan would do, like, I'm ready for action, I'm ready, you know. <laughs> but SD has gotten into the fray, yeah. even from the apron, SD, because right. Bret Hart has taken bumps from you know, everybody. Yeah. So he staggers over to SD, who gives him a big <laughs> jumping headbutt, yeah. and that floors Bret. And then SD goes around the ring post to uh, set himself up so that Adrian's backing away from Dan Spivey yeah. after just one body slam. <laughs> yes, right. And then he basically sees SD, and he charges SD. <laughs> Runs flat out to SD, but as he's charging up there, SD springs to the full height of his jump to come down for a huge crashing headbutt on Adrian. And it almost looks like old school Adrian's going to flip outside the ring, but he, he stays back and he stays yeah, in the yeah. ring. So our legal men in the ring, after all the chaos has calmed down, and it was a hell of an exciting opening, we've got Mike Rotundo putting an arm ringer on Brett. He uh, works that upper arm by throwing an elbow into the shoulder area of Brett. Then he tags in Dan Spivey, who climbs up onto the second rope while Mike Rotundo's holding that trapped arm, and he comes down with his own elbow into Brett's shoulder. Dan Spivey twists Brett's arm and tags in SD! (laughs) Woohoo! Unfortunately, we have a little bit of a clumsy issue, but we get past it quickly. SD does an arm ringer, and then a second arm ringer, but the timing doesn't go too well because Brett pulls a whole 360 kind of midair somersault flip. Uh, SD kind of also is going to do like, you know, a whole 360 rotation himself. And there's a little stumble. We move past it. It's not the finest hour. <laughs> they quickly recover with SD dropping a diving headbutt onto Brett. And that's when Jimmy Hart comes into the inset and talks about how exciting it is to team up the Hart Foundation with Adrian Adonis. They might, he calls it the ultimate trifecta. <laughs> I just can't do his laugh. It's too, yeah, yeah, too yeah. high up there. But the, I think I'm doing better yeah, with yeah. Uh, the Jimmy Hart's Broken Bones Club Band than the ultimate trifecta. That's right. Yeah. Because, you know, he just got honky tonk anyway. So, you know, come on, we got to yeah. make room for honky and, and cowboy Bob. Ba- oh, Bob and you know what? Thinking back to that Piper's pet, I missed one little line, which is that Piper accuses them and says, is Danny Davis a member of the Hart Foundation? And they're like, no, no, he's the finest referee in the WWF, but <laughs> he will be in his glory. SD has a little shoulder wiggle, butt shuffle, you know, he's celebrating, he's getting to do a little taunt. He's taunting the Heart Foundation, Jim and and Adrian, because the good guys have things going their way. Now, Gorilla, at this point, he launches into uh, what today would be considered hurtful. Uh, He starts to say, well, I tell you, you know, um, I can't remember who he calls crazy first. Probably Jimmy Hart. (laughs) He's like, yeah, he's, if, but he also, he says it really clumsily. He says to Bobby, he goes, does he have both oars in the water or what? 
And Bobby's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And we're clumsy. But then within the next two minutes, we hear, you know, like, not all there. And Jim Hart, Jim Nanville, people call him psycho and not playing with a full deck. And just, you know, all this, like every villain is like somehow deranged. That's right. They're all, you know, that's right. Mentally unwell. I guess Bret Hart's okay. (laughs) So Mike Rotundo tags in. He kicks the arm that's held by SD, and he, he works at uh, Brett's uh, arm a, a little more on his shoulder. Now, what's funny is that uh, as SD's getting admonished by the referee, he kind of pulls like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. He even puts his hand on the ref's face like, beautiful referee, beautiful baby boy. I'm so sorry. Please, please, you must forgive me. So SD gets out of the ring. There's an Irish whip, which Brett reverses and gives Mike Rotundo a knee to the gut. Brett's still very wobbly, but he manages to find the wherewithal to grab Rotunda by the back of his head, the hair, and drive him into Jim the Anvil Nightheart's boot before tagging in Jim. Now, we have a really cool vista. Like, I would almost like to make a postcard of this. After the tag, Adrian grabs Rotunda's hair, like double handful, and Adrian's on the apron. Yeah. So it, Rotundo's not going anywhere. Brett kind of drops to one knee, or either way, Brett does like the whole shoulder in the midsection, like to keep Rotundo from going anywhere. And then Jim comes in and winds up the big, like I'm in the ring and clobbers Rotundo. So like all three guys are like, he's not going anywhere. He gets (laughs) bumped by Jim. So it's just a really great little vista of like, he's just like totally locked up by these three guys and (laughs) at their mercy. So there's an exchange of blows between Neidhart and Rotundo and it uh, kind of, it's equal. So Nightheart's not having that. He's got to go for an eye rake. If uh, if he can't win, he'll rake the eyes. He tags in Adrian, and Adrian, strong man, picks Mike Rotundo up uh, onto his shoulder. And at this point, I'm like, well, what's he going to do? Because uh, it could be like the shoulder breaker, you know. Yeah. And it turns out that he power slam, like Ooh, standing okay. power slam. Adrian bounces off the ropes and goes for a big running elbow drop, but uh, Rotundo rolls out of the way, so Adrian misses. They stand up, and there's a bit of a fl- slug fest. And again, Rotundo's able to hold his own when he's just exchanging blows because he's a big guy, Erwin R. Scheister. <laughs> um, so Adrian's, you know, again, like, uh, can't get the better of him on a one-on-one. So he just grabs Rotundo and, uh, you know, he sort of leans and takes a couple step backs, which is enough to get a tag into Brett. Brett comes in, one punch, tags in Jim. And... <laughs> Adrian hasn't even had time to leave yet. So, like, again, all three are in the ring. Yeah, and Adrian's yeah. like, there's just almost one beat where he's like, and what do I? And then he, but uh, he's a real pro. So he gets out of the way. Yeah. And the Hart Foundation remain Jim and Brett. They double Irish whip Rotundo into the ropes. And uh, they give him a double reverse standing elbow, which drops Rotundo to the ground. At this point, Gorilla starts talking about uh, that the Hart Foundation heretofore are undefeated on Wrestling Challenge. Uh-huh. Is this is like the third episode of Wrestling Challenge? Is this or, <laughs> no, or is that been around no. since uh, the the fall? I think it started in like September or something. Like I that. see. Uncharacteristically, but pretty excitedly, uh, excitingly, we get a flying Tito off yeah, the ropes for a tunnel. Right. I did see that. Yeah, huge running forearm. Always one of my favorite moves. And so that clobbers. Let's see who's in there. I think it's uh, who gets clobbered by that. Jim. Right. So. Tundo is, uh, you know, we haven't even seen Spivey tag in yet. That's right. <laughs> I don't think we do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> SD climbs into the ring. I'm not really sure why, but Adrian climbs into the ring, and then all six of them are yeah. in the ring. Before they can square off, SD gives a double noggin knocker to Brett and Adrian, but then they pair off. Jim starts fighting with Mike, and Brett and Dan are skirmishing while SD squares off with Adrian. And then Piper shows up. Just kidding. No, no. Piper's already played his role. He's does I knew, not. I knew that didn't happen. No. So Jim and Mike Rotundo spill out of the ring. Their skirmish spills out of the ring. SD whips 
Adrian into the ropes and gets an abdominal stretch on him. Spivey and Brett are broken up by the ref, but the ref is preoccupied with getting Spivey because right, yes. they're kind of in heel town. So the ref's like, I'm taking you back to face town. <laughs> so he gets rocked. You know, Spivey's gets backed up and that takes yeah. enough time for Brett just to like hop up on the second rope, one yeah. double axe handle to the back of SD's head. That's right. And that's all that Adrian needs to get the good night Irene on yes. SD Jones. Meanwhile, as I said, we've got Jim and is outside the ring with uh, with Mike Rotundo. Spivey's on the outside, but, but yeah. he climbs to the floor as well because you have a submission hold that we can't, for the storyline, the baby faces have to be occupied. And Gorilla Monsoon says, The Heart Foundation making sure that uh, SD's teammates can in, get in there to save him. But, like, what's happening is that one is Brett is running away from, you know, like, he's yeah. one guy's cowering, the other guy's getting beaten up. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Gorilla's calling, making sure that there no help <laughs> is available. Occupying. That's right. <laughs> By cowering and getting battered, the Heart Foundation <laughs> allow Adrian Adonis to successfully put SD Jones to sleep with Goodnight Irene. And they're saying, welcome back, good night, Irene, because I guess uh, Corey had mentioned once that he um, waited before he made this his finisher. Yeah, or well, I don't we, know. We had talked on a show where like we saw him do a sleeper, but he wasn't actually referring to it as Goodnight Irene yet. Okay. And I think we missed we we didn't really see an episode or a spot. It just recently they've started calling it that. So clearly somewhere along the lines on one of these shows, they must have uh, you know, anointed it that. Probably on a you know, on a match in the last couple of months and we just, you know, didn't particularly watch it because it was a squash match. That's the thing, right? There's all these little nuggets, even on the squash matches, like there's these little bits of like wrestling history that are stitched through them, but it's hard to find them all because of course we don't have time to watch every single squash match and and stuff like that. So yeah, it's final it's note was that it appears Adrian was chewing gum. The whole okay, time, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of. I think, think he's down a bit of weight too, because they announced him at two seventy seven for this match, and it's like they, before they were calling him like two ninety, and he looked, he did look a tiny bit thinner, like in the chest and stuff like that. So, right, yeah. Anyway, really fun match. There was a, uh, I skipped over it, but it's worth noting now. There was a couple of weeks before this match on TV. There was an Adrian. Uh, pretty sure it was a squash match. But he comes out to the ring, and it was the one time I kind of saw him kind of almost going back to the kind of outfits he had before he left. You know, when he kind of had more, was wearing, like, you know, women's clothing, and he had some sort of, I don't even know how to properly call the type of hat he had on, but what he brought to the ring was something you might have seen in the movie Blue Velvet. So he had like the, almost like the gas mask, you know, he was like holding, he was, he brought that out to the ring with him and he was like putting it over his face the way Dennis Hopper did in Blue Velvet. Like, Did he have a tank of... No, he didn't. <laughs> laughing gas? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of just tucked into his like shawl or whatever as if maybe he was hiding it. And, yeah, okay. I, if it was something he was going to like try and make a thing, it, clearly yeah. it didn't happen. It didn't stick because I only saw it on the one episode. Yeah, but. That, yeah right, right. Yeah, famous. He was getting high off of something that he was just like breathing in. Gas or whatever, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah oh Dentists used to use nitrous oxide. Okay, so this wrestling challenge has a few more things. So uh, we move ahead in the car in the show. It's you know roughly halfway through, and there is a Kamala squash match, but there's, it's more than that. Well, the best part of this segment of TV is when Kamala's leaving the ring. It's kind of uh, unusual. You don't usually see what appears to be kind of like, I would classify it as the inside of the hockey rink, but with no ice because there's uh. just this, um, and it's not a fence. It's the interior structure of this arena that they're in. It, it looks like they're walking past what divides the floor from the, the beginning of the seating or whatever. But right. uh, you, often you don't see them walk past this solid structure. You see them going past guardrails and people. So they're walking to the backstage area, Kamala with Kimchi and the wizard. And 
Heenan's coming out with King Kong Bundy, and this is like so uncommon, but it was actually a really cool segment. There's a standoff, like the whole yeah. kind of like two Japanese Who's samurai. Move, none of room for the both. <laughs> That's right. But, is, but they have uh, they have good storyline reason for Kamala to be not looking for trouble. He's kind of an innocent. He, he doesn't play. I, I, maybe I'm overselling his. You know, it, but <laughs> his uh, Boy Scout it. Uh, yeah. background. but he never looks angry. Yeah, that's right. He, he, the the <laughs> having said that, the guy who's in the ring that he just finished off is getting like a stretcher job. <laughs> that's a good point. But you know, you've got Kim Chi directing him to do these yes. to, to be the wrestler, and you've got the Grand Wizard who he's scared of, and the regular wizard. Shit. The regular <laughs> wizard. I'm forever cursed. The tooth of Shaka Khan controls Kamala. Yeah, and to me, it's kind of Bundy's sort of being the instigator in the, yeah. in, the in the standoff. Like Kamala well, is willing to step to the side and kind of go around him, but Bundy's actually cuts like, him off. Cut yeah, two or three times. It's really and Heenan's cool. grabbing his shoulders like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a great bit. Like the yeah. tension's awesome. So you told me they actually did wrestle. Yeah, I don't have the information in front of me, but I do recall catching a couple of times where I noticed in house shows there was Bundy versus Kamala, this sort of bad guy versus bad guy, Fuck, big that big man cool. showdown. Yeah. <laughs> God, that would have been really cool. I wish they we'd, we'd got to see that instead of Bundy versus Elmer. Yeah, we'll, we'll look around and see if we can find if there is actually a match of them on, on tape or something. But it was, as Jeff mentioned, it was just, again, not something I was looking for, but I just kind of spotted it. I was like, ooh, this is this is juicy. <laughs> it was. <laughs> this, gets, of- this gets your uh, imagination going for sure. Okay, so we are nearing the end of all of our setup and we decided to cut out a few little bits of the, you know, sake for sake of time, but we have to do it. So Boston, January 3rd, and there is what's called a bunkhouse stampede battle royal, okay? And so just to back up for a second here, people are familiar with that term from the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions, and they would do these bunko stampedes. I was listening recently in the last month or so to an episode that the Laps fan did on the 1988 Bunko Stampede pay-per-view and basically they did a bit of the history of this and kind of made it was a bit of the WWF was doing these matches around this time to kind of make fun of Jim Crockett you know like they were they were kind of making it silly and as as we'll see there was some sort of comedy bits to their version of this Bunko Stampede Battle Royal or whatever and whereas of course in the NWA they were trying to make it as serious as possible <laughs> and uh, so yeah it's an interesting match and we unfortunately only have access to a very short clip we get the beginning and we get the very end but uh, it, it's worth covering because it's pretty unique I actually misspoke. There's no stampede in this bunkhouse. It's just a bunkhouse. But one of the reasons I think they started doing a lot of these shows was to give a showcase to a repackaged wrestler. So we've got Blackjack Mulligan it started getting vignettes and there's things we kind of skipped over because they're a little bit dry. But every week we were getting shots of like at the ranch of this real cowboy, Blackjack Mulligan. You know, he's famous for his whole career and he was in almost every territory, big in the AWA, big in the old, like every territory, he was everywhere. He was tag team champs with flair, but he was basically a heel his entire career. And people found it quite interesting that when they, you know, uh, uh, the, the machines thing being a, in a side, the big machine was sort of a, no, a lot of people didn't know that who that was, right? Like as a kid, I had no idea that was Blackjack Mulligan. So anyways, bringing him here and repackaging him as Blackjack Mulligan, but then having him be a baby face was a little bit of a, a different turn for him. Well, imagine this. Blackjack Mulligan joins the U.S. Express. 
<laughs> takes over for his son. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where we are with this uh, this match. We've got this clip off WWE Network. I couldn't find, like I was hoping when I found the clip online, they do that. They, they give teasers. If you don't have the network, you can find clips online, but they're short. So I thought, okay, well, if there's a short clip, there's got to be a long clip. But I started searching around by the date and the name of the venue and the name of the show and just, yeah, couldn't find it. So if I'm wrong on that, please, <laughs> please let me know. But yeah, so here we go. There's uh, one of these unique uh, matches, which may or may not have been the WWF taking a little bit of a stab at uh, JCB. Well, it does play to Blackjack Mulligan's strength, which is blue jeans. That's right. <laughs> That's the man where he likes to wear blue jeans. And uh, I don't really remember his gear in other, but he was always a cowboy, badass, tough guy. So come as you are. And I mean, really, most people wear blue jeans, but you know, yeah. cowboys have a certain you know, claim to them. Yeah. <laughs> it's in their DNA. Exactly. And so when the match starts, you know, we've got a three minute clip we're dealing with here. Yeah. So it's overwhelming trying to keep track of who's in there. Lanny Poffo has got a really ridiculous <laughs> outfit on. Uh, this fully visor, visored helmet with plumes looks like a medieval a yeah, piece like a of suit a, of armor, pretty much. You yeah. know, like although he looks like he doesn't have any metal below the waist. Yeah, or like I think in another battle royal, he famously shows yeah. up in a full suit of armor. Yeah, and this time I think he just brought the helmet. <laughs> yeah. So he looks pretty silly. Most other guys are wearing jeans, bundies, and, you know, just it appears to be a, his casual shirt that yeah. he wears. I'm not sure if uh, Bundy's an orderly or a, like, you know, he looks like he's in, like, basically somebody's uniform. Like, you know, he's got, like, yeah. a, like black pants and black shirt, but they're almost like they look like uh, something, I don't know, someone working in a hospital might wear. Well, I couldn't really tell. Is this a Halloween gimmick battle royal? When yeah, like, no, they're just all in jeans and yeah. more or less just in their street clothes. <laughs> Hillbilly's wearing his normal outfit, which is his overalls, because that, right. that fits the bill. Mr. Fuji's in his tuxedo. <laughs> well, before you can even... So uh, we wrestlers begin to eliminate other wrestlers. Jim Nanville Neidhart, he goes outside and... Uh, but it isn't long before it, you, you, there's only four guys in there. Yeah, they just edit it, right? They go from like, there's 15 guys in the ring to four guys in the ring. <laughs> yeah. But then I got a really delightful surprise with like, with so few wrestlers in the ring, somebody goes out and I can't believe my ears... Partially because perhaps of Alfred Hayes's accent, but he's saying Doherty, 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 Pete Doherty, our Duke of Dorchester, <laughs> who was on the first Saturday night's main event, and I had forgotten all about. But turns out I think the guy's awesome, and uh, he's a he's such a fun uh, villain, a jobber. And uh, he's so yeah. committed to his character, and, and he's and but this he's matches in Boston, right? So yeah, it's like perfect. That's right. So he's not he's not bottom of the. Uh, of the tier he's he he is like a jobber elite you know the crowd yeah. knows him and he's he didn't have as much screen time as a steve lombardi brooklyn brawler but i mean he was kind of like that kind of character you know yeah i mean the the mere fact that he was on the first saturday night's main event you know was yeah. cements his place in history certainly here on legendary wrestling obsession that's right so he's one of the last three guys in the yeah. ring and it's he, awesome. he eliminates kirshner that was cool. Yeah. Kirshner's still in his Kirshner outfit. So. Yeah, he's pretty much in just, yeah, fatigues or whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. camouflage. And then Bundy is in there with Pete Doherty and... Blackjack Mulligan. Of course, because this is all his show. It's yeah, his right. breakout party. For You know, just as we're coming to grips with this awesome opportunity for Pete Doherty. 
uh, he kind of climbs a t- turnbuckles. Well, to- they're double teaming him, and yeah. then Bundy's Bundy's imploring him, going, "Yeah, you go up and smash him." Yeah, <laughs> climb the second turnbuckles and give him a real, you know, clobber from up there. But so he does, and he just gets pushed off by Bundy. Yeah, he climbs up to the second, and Bundy comes up behind him and gives him a shot to the back, and Doherty takes a spill. <laughs> At this point, Corey was convinced we had to cover it, and he, and he uh, just, yeah. I can think he just sent an email right away. <laughs> but uh, that leaves Bundy in there with Blackjack Mulligan, and uh, they're struggling. The revenge of the Duke of Dorchester. Pete Doherty comes back in the ring with a chair, <laughs> and he's been betrayed by Bundy, so he clobbers Bundy with the chair. Yeah, Bundy's got Mulligan up for this big body slam. He's about to put him down hard, but then Doherty nails him. <laughs> Awesome. This is enough for Blackjack Mulligan to uh, turn the tide on Bundy. And he's got to take his boot off, Blackjack. And I guess that's probably one of the main staples of a bunkhouse match is hitting people with your boot. (laughs) Tommy Young from from Dusty. That was one of my favorite boot shots of all time. I loved it. (laughs) It is my favorite boot shot of all time. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, Blackjack Mulligan gives Bundy a big clobberino shot with his boot that he's taken off his foot. That's enough for him to be able to deposit Bundy on the outside and win the match. And Doherty's glad because Bundy, who eliminated him, is now eliminated. But Doherty stands around for a second, and he gets attacked by Blackjack Mulligan. Poor guy. Helps him win the Battle Royal. What's he get for his thanks? He gets a fucking... He gets, I think, the boot across the side of his head. he gets clubbed. And he takes this awesome spill over the top rope onto the apron from the ring, eliminating one more time. It almost looks like his arm's going to get tied up in the ropes, you know, the way they do sometimes, right? Where the ropes twist. Like the second and the top rope twisted with each other, but his arm just slid right through. But uh, yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So... They, they they ran several of these cards around the country during this time period. There's a ton, and it's all these $50,000 bunkos matches, and Blackjack Mulligan seems to be winning a lot of them. There are some other names that win them. You, you would think that Blackjack Mulligan would be retiring at that uh, that clip of 50000 a night, which he you know, clearly isn't getting, but is worth noting, and I couldn't find it, of course, but there is a show the next night, January 4th in Springfield. And it's another bunkhouse. And I just, like Jeff said, it's really tough to kind of figure out who's even in these matches when you're watching them, especially on such a short clip. But we will uh, take just a quick little peek here because there's something that's pretty neat about this. Okay, so we're at Springfield, Massachusetts Civic Center, January 4th. Another one of these battle royals. So it includes Hibbley Jim, Dick Slater, Mike Rotundo, Dan Spivey, Lanny Poffo, Don Morocco, Bob Orton Jr., Brutus Beefcake, Sika, Demolition. Ooh. Oh. Hadn't seen their name pop up before. Interesting. The Islanders, Iron Mike Sharp, Greg Valentine, and Jim Neidhart. And the winner of this match, the Duke of Georgechester, Pete Doherty. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. He That's so good. Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty wins a 50 oh, th- do I don't know why they didn't let him win the Boston one. but yeah. <laughs> Who was the second guy in the ring? It, does, it doesn't say. say. It just says he won, and then it lists all those people. That's fucking And great. I tried to find this clip, and of course I couldn't. Oh. And oh, there we are. Yeah, on that card. On the same card, Demolition defeats the Islanders. So that's that's got to be one of their first appearances. We'll have to dig right. into that for our next show. We'll have to Because they... The March Science Main event, uh, Demolition, makes their Science Main event debut. Right. Well, which two wrestlers is what I would uh, wonder. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the original pre 
Smash, you know, the Smash, but the <laughs> a different Smash. <laughs> right. Non Barry Darso, the the Moon Dog demolition. But we'll right. we'll double check that when we when we when we can. But yeah, it's just too good. So this is and this card's happening the same night that the one I just talked about, Pete Doherty winning this match. Wow. It happens the same night that Saturday's main event airs on TV. <laughs> so the, if you were in Springfield, you could have gotten home from watching the Duke of Dorchester win a battle royal and then turn on your TV and watch Saturday's main event. I wonder what the boys did in the locker room when, when Duke comes <laughs> exactly. back there. Like, hey! Yeah. Like, yeah, you're one exactly. moment of like, you know, oh, yeah. if, if he was I, liked in the locker room. So when I was trying to find this stuff, I ended up coming across basically a fan site somebody created for the Duke of Dorchester. <laughs> and it's about maybe six <laughs> paragraphs about his career. And this is how the big, this is the highlight. This is like, you know, this oh. him winning this match. Is sort of the the peak of his entire career. Obviously, being on Saturday's main event like was more important because you know so many people saw it. But it's in terms of like him winning something, like this, this is it. That's cool. Yeah, I used to uh, play this character on a cartoon of this guy who would. Um, there was a soccer team that was all celebrities and world famous and my one guy was like friends with a player but the rest of the team would, didn't know who he was and they kind of ignored him and he would always help them figure out how the bad guys are cheating <laughs> so there was one episode where like he was feeling really down my character is all down and out because he you know the team didn't know who he was like come on guys I, you know I got cracked that case and I solved that puzzle and I did that thing and, and they're like oh yeah 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 so he does it one more time the character's name Spenza on Super Strikers and he, uh, and he shows up and the team's all there and like every time that he tries to talk to them they just they don't know who he is so he walks in one time and he's like oh yeah hey guys and they look at him and then and for the first time ever they're like Spencer and they all start cheering him and like it was a great because like this was five or six seasons into the shows so yeah it was it must have been a real awesome night for Pete Doherty <laughs> the Duke of Chester. Right. <laughs> yeah yeah Dorchester is his crowning moment, and uh, I can only imagine it was probably something where like two guys eliminated each other, you know, and that just left. Yeah, just the only guy left. Oh, what a night! <laughs> yeah, well, that's what that's the beauty of professional wrestling can give you these great unexpected storylines and ways of just you know <laughs> feeling good and rooting for somebody. Here's a villain that we're thirty years later, we're enjoying the fact that he had his night of glory, and that's right. All hail the Duke of Dorchester. <laughs> okay, hang in there. We'll be back with a little wrap-up of the show. So we've uh, talked about Kamala's vocalizations, you know, and how the <laughs> regular wizard had to uh, pause <laughs> while Kamala was like, <laughs> but I saw some bloopers our fabulous okay. Mean Gene bloopers and uh, Kamala featured quite prominently. Now, I don't know to what degree Gene had any authority as, uh, you know, handing out fines or telling oh, the boss yeah, with yeah. people. But he, there's the, the clip starts with Kamala. Come on out here. Now, what is this shit I hear about you skipping dates? You know, <laughs> I think I might have seen this. Yeah, show. yeah. And he puts him on the spot. He goes, yeah, yeah. "Where were you? You know, like I was supposed to interview you, you in Detroit, and you didn't show." You know, and like uh, he didn't say this, but like, what the fuck? He <laughs> anyway, Kamala kind of just comes and then finally a little stares down Gene, and he goes, uh, "I was doing the funky, funky." <laughs> <laughs> He just didn't show up for his interviews because oh he was getting late or something. That was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's about going to wrap us up for this week. We're going to get back next week when we do the full blow-by-blow breakdown of 
the January 4th, 1987 Saturday Night's main event. We got a cage match. We've got a grudge match between Piper and Adonis. We've got the King and Harley Race versus Junkyard Dog. We've got Blackjack Mullivan versus Jimmy Jack Funk. And we got your man, Macho Man Randy Savage, defending his title against George the Animal Steel. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. No tag match, but that's okay. Five matches coming your way. And we got some pretty positive feedback, at least I did. I don't know if Jeff Wright didn't hear any of it. We got some pretty positive feedback about our really fun commercial last week on our, uh, you know, our Twitter and all that stuff. And uh, so we'll include that here again because there were some good laughs. So we'll let that take you home. The one we'll with s- the unpronounceable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we yes. love it. It's too good. Unintentional comedy is so, always the best. Oh, okay, always the best. <laughs> on Twitter, we got I didn't know that. Right on. <laughs> on X. Glad to hear it. There we go. We'll see you next week. However the hell you pronounce that. (laughs) Take care. Housekeeping. Okay. A little bit of housekeeping. This is how you can help out your favorite podcast. Or if you feel like helping us out, rather, then do this. Go to patreon.com legendary wrestling obsession. Now, there will be some capital letters in there. But I don't know if that changes things. But patreon.com slash legendary wrestling obsession is where you can take that extra step. And if you're feeling generous, you can uh, throw a couple of coins our way because we're doing this for love of wrestling. And um, it actually costs us to do the show. So we're, <laughs> we're uh, you know, we're not rolling in the, in the dough yet. Uh, there's extra goodies to listen to when you go to Patreon. And uh, we're working hard at having something there to reward you being a supporter of Legendary Wrestling Obsession. Now, as far as our podcast goes, our home base and the people who have us ready to go and loaded and ready for your listening pleasure, Lickety Split is podbean.com. So go to, once again, legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. Dot com. I don't see any ats in that. LegendaryWrestlingObsession.Podbean.com. Become a follower, please, and it'll be instantly downloaded onto your phone just as uh, soon as Corey can finish so- stitching up our episodes with all the uh, bells and whistles and music and, and clips from the shows. And finally, we are on what used to be called Twitter. is now called X, but I'm stubborn. Now I'm going to call it Twitter, sort of, for a little <laughs> while longer anyway. At Ledge. No, can we try again? There's no easy way to say this, my friends, Um, because there's a limit to how many characters you can you can use for your handle. So it's you you know the first three letters of our first two words, ledge, L-E-G, and then for the wrestling part, W-R-E, at L-E-G, W-R-E, and then all of obsession. So leg wrestling obsession. Wait a minute, no. I was a champion leg wrestler in my day. Ledge, rest, there's no S until the end session. Do-over. I demand a do-over for the third one. First two are down. One to go. Stick with me. At leg re obsession. No. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to spell it. I ain't going to try to speak it. Something that's just better spelt than said, you see. At L-E-G. W-R-E-O-B-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. That's our X. At L-E-G-W-R-E-O-B-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. And don't ask me to try to pronounce it. (laughs) 